Warning! Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Hi, this is Rigor, and this is The East Meets the West with my co-host, Patsy the Angry Nerd. This is the show in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies. Today we're going to discuss the Shaw Brothers film, Sword Stained with Royal Blood, from 1981, and the spaghetti western film, The Mercenary, from 1968, starring Franco Nero and Jack Palance. What's happening, man? Uh, nothing, you know, it's... Uh... You know, 1981, solid year. That's the year uh, I also was introduced to the world. So uh, I, I enjoy watching movies from that year. Uh, year. I was going to say era and year, and it came out ear. So that was really... <laughs> things are going really well for me so far. Yeah, so this is, this is going to be a good episode because I, I had some uh, interesting thoughts on these two films and... You know, we'll get into it. Excellent, excellent. So did I. Yeah, I finally, today, we're recording this, folks, today on the day before Christmas Eve 2021. And I kind of, I had some financial issues, so I had to wait till I got my paycheck, which came in my account today. So that's when I went out and did my Christmas shopping. So that was fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm still waiting for uh, one of my paychecks. So I haven't gotten that yet, but hopefully soon. Hopefully yeah. soon. Um, but you know, we'll 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 see. Yeah, we'll see what. It, well, uh, it's funny with Christmas <laughs> shopping. Not to get too much on off on a tangent, but I find that, like in years past, I was able to sort of just train myself to accept the fact that first of all, everybody's in a panic, everybody is rushing. So to try to do my shopping as early as I can, which is never really ridiculously early, but. Um, usually if I'm able to, I'll go like on a Wednesday morning and do my mm -hmm. Christmas shopping because nobody's out. Everybody's at work. But I also have learned to just be patient because you know what? When you go out Christmas shopping, the lines are going to be long. Everything's going to just take much longer than it needs to. It's going to be way slower. 
and then you're fine. And then, yep, you know, it's just about thinking about what you got to get for people. But half the people that were out shopping today were in a panic and they were so rude and uh, impatient. And it's like, you know, people, come on. It's Christmas. Of course it's going to be slow. Stop being impatient and calm yourself down. Jesus Christ. Well, I also think part of it is, you know, a lot of stores are still suffering through the post-COVID, you know, walkouts and people like, I don't want to do this job because people are going to treat me like shit. I'll go do something else, which then makes the people who remain, usually younger kids, like if you're at a place like Target or Walmart or something, yeah, people treat them like shit. Right. If, like when when uh, Ashes and I went the other day, uh, we had to pick up a few things. There was one lane open, and all the uh, the uh, automatic uh, self checkouts. So it's like awesome. Yeah. Like you couldn't get two people to run lanes. <laughs> like I get it because I used to work at that same Target, and I know how that was. But man, like. Yeah. Stores in general, people in general, like I try to avoid them as much as I can. Yeah. But it's like people just lose all situational awareness. Like when they're like, it's like you have a family of four and they've got three carriages and they just like stand in the middle of aisles looking at their phones trying to figure out what's going on. And you're like, excuse me, can yeah. I get by? Oh, yeah, it'll just be a second. I know. Or it could be now. Move the <laughs> fuck out of the way. Jesus Christ. Like there's no reason for this. I know, I know. It's people just get nutty. And I used to work at a Walmart many years ago, and you could just see the fear on like Christmas Eve, especially in, in people's eyes, because they don't know what to get. They, they they're just running around with like a chicken with their head cut off. Do you think my son would like this? Uh, that is a cat toy, right? <laughs> um, it has catnip in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but do you think he would like it? Is your son an idiot? Yeah, he's pretty dumb. Then go for it. Then go for it, yeah. <laughs> What's your son's name? Uh, Whiskers. Oh, well, then. <laughs> oh, my God. I, w- I went to the dollar store this morning, and I kid you not, this chick is standing out front. Because for whatever reason, they didn't open till 11. I don't know why that was. Usually, everything's open at, like, 9. And she's standing there with a cat on a leash. But she's holding the cat in her arms, and everybody's, like, all gushing over the cat. I'm like, oh, my God. Really? Who cares about your stupid cat? <laughs> I think it depends on the cat because uh, one of our friends posted uh, a picture of a cat that came into his his store at the mall. And I was like, I know that cat. That cat was dressed as Superman at a convention a few years ago. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's like the most chill cat ever, you know, like conventions. You know, this is November 2019. So there's a trillion people there. And the cat was just chilling in a stroller, like letting people like pet it and like come up to it. And it was just like, whatever. That's the kind of cat you want to put in the movies, because if they're that docile, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You just get them all chilled out. Like you got to be careful though. Cause like last night I was laying in bed, uh, getting ready. My, my wife is getting ready for, for bed and the cat has been like laying next to me. Yeah. And so I had like this little catnip toy. It's like a, three inch by one inch like little cushion but it's filled with catnip and i had it sitting on my on my arm and she was just kind of like biting at it and like and i was like no i'm i it's like 1 a.m like i want to go to bed and ash is like what are you doing i'm like i'm like she's playing with it but like i don't want her to get spazzed out 
So I took it and I, I'm like, well, let's see how badly she wants it. And I took it and I kind of threw it on the floor and she just sort of looked at me, me not thinking that I'm going to smell like catnip now. <laughs> I'm looking at, her, she goes, why'd you throw her toy? I'm like, I don't want her getting all freaked out and spaz. Ah, she bit my arm. Oh my God. Like, she had never she's never bitten me. She's like 12. She's never bitten me. But because she's whatever. Ash is yelling at me. She's only 10. Um, <laughs> oh, she's a baby. She's 10. Sorry. Uh, but because the thing had been resting on my arm and my arm smelled like catnip, she was like, I'm just going to bite this. But the funniest part was, like, I yelled and the cat kind of, like, jumped. You know how cats get startled when, like, they hear loud noises? But I don't think me yelling is what startled her. What startled her was she went to bite what she thought was her little catnip toy, and it ended up being my arm. And that shocked her (laughs) as much as it shocked me because she chomped down hard. And I have, again, she's never bitten me. Yeah. And like all of a sudden, it's just like ah, oh, like she's like, what is this? I mean, she was fine after, and I was fine. Ashes and I are dying laughing, but like it was just the the situation was so odd. That's hilarious. Oh man, I used to have a cat. It was a really nice cat, and uh, he would like I'd let him gnaw when he was a little kitten. I would let him gnaw on my hand, and he would try to disembowel my arm with his bottom feet, thinking it was you know an animal or something. When, mm-hmm. we, when he got older, that was no longer fun. I had to stop that. <laughs> yeah, because they get big and they get strong and they get fast, and yeah. those claws get longer. <laughs> oh man! <clears throat> well, folks, are we, we, are we talking about uh, cats today? Are we <laughs> right? Yes, yeah, getting uh... westerns and Shaw Brothers. That's right. We're getting into it, and we're winding down with the last couple of Venom Mob films here, folks. So first up today is The Sword Stained with Royal Blood from 
The story begins with the exile of a young boy who grows up to meet his destiny as a great warrior. After his father, a Han loyalist and hero, is betrayed by the emperor and sentenced to death, which of course has nothing to do with the rest of the story, Yuang Shenxi is spirited away to the reclusive master of the Lung Yao School of Martial Arts. Having grown into a righteous young man of considerable martial skill, Yuan sets out on his own. He discovers the hideout of a long-dead martial arts master known as Golden Snake and lays claim to his buried martial arts manual, sword, and collection of darts. He also discovers the whereabouts of a lost treasure and instructions to deliver a portion of the treasure to a certain woman. Cheng Shi sets out to find her in order to honor the dead man's wishes and ends up meeting a spoiled and not-so-cleverly disguised young woman posing as a man named Wen Xing. It's enough to fool the naive Yuan Shanxi who befriends Wen after she takes a liking to him. She brings him into her household, which is home to a wealthy clan of martial artists known for their mastery of the five elemental array. Yuan's stay grows unsettling, first when jealous quarreling sparked by his presence erupts between Wen and her cousin. Things get a lot more complicated when a trio of angry martial artists storm the household and accuse Wen of theft. It turns out that they are members of Yuan's school, and just as the situation threatens to turn into a full-scale battle, he intercedes in order to find a peaceful solution. As a result of his intervention, Yuan's skill draws the attention of the master of the house, who recognizes the kung fu techniques of his arch-enemy, Golden Snake. As hidden truths about the Wen clan and their dark dark past are revealed through flashbacks, Yuan finds himself forced to fight their infamous five-element array in order to complete his quest and escape in one piece. So, what was your initial impression of this movie when you saw it, Pat? So, I mean, I know this is going to jump ahead to something that happens at the end, but I never at any point thought that she was a guy. Like, it was the (laughs) least it was the least convincing disguise since Kal-El put on glasses and no one knew who the hell he was. Right. <laughs> wow. I've never seen Superman or six foot five super jacked Clark Kent next to each other at the same time. Well, they don't look the same. What do you mean they don't look the same? Well, Clark got glasses. Superman doesn't. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. They couldn't possibly <laughs> be the same person. Also, he's wearing a different shirt. And he's clumsy oh, and nerdy. Like, yeah, but only in the only the Christopher Reeve movies. Like all the other time, he's like, "Oh, I am a super stud." <laughs> <laughs> you didn't notice he has the exact same voice. Like, That's hello, Perry. I'm here for my job interview. It's like, <laughs> why are you talking like that? That's just the way we all talk on my planet. I mean, the way I talk <laughs> when I'm at the Daily Planet. It's like. Oh man, you know, don't just get too far on a tangent. But uh, have you watched the Lois and Clark show? Or yeah, no, Superman no. And Lois show. I haven't watched any of any oh, okay. of the. Well, there, I texted my friend at one point because he was watching it too, and I said, "All right, so so for whatever reason, Clark has to fly his son to the so- Fortress of Solitude, but he's still wearing his glasses." I'm like, "Why does he need his gla- glasses then? He doesn't actually need glasses." <laughs> I just. Yeah, like it. It's not like Cyclops who has to wear the ruby quartz goggles in order to keep his like optic blasts from right. leveling on killing people. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. That that was never at any point ever an issue. The biggest thing for me was uh, the note that I have. Uh, the first thing I thought of was Robin Hood. 
Oh, I'm sorry. That was uh, wrong. Wrong. Uh, that was from the other the other movie. Uh, <laughs> the uh, guy who carries the baby away. I was like, wow, he's a terribly articulate, immortal caveman. <laughs> um, because in other films, like actually with other characters in this film, it's like, this is what I looked like in this flashback 20 years ago. Here's what I look like now. I have a fake gray beard. That guy looked exactly the same. Right. Uh he him and the first guy that gets killed, like the that accuses Wen of the uh, theft of the gold while she's having tea or sake or whatever. Yeah. Uh, with what's his name there? Uh, Philip Kwok. Yeah. He was like this goofy, stupid looking, like, you know, inept, like gang leader. And like he had a goofy, stupid, inept face. And then they have this dude that's carrying the the, the baby. And like he just grunts, he looks like a goddamn caveman. And it's like it's not like he's like, oh hello, I'm here representing uh, my master, and I'm bring his child here, you know, for for you to train him because it is imperative that he survive. He's just go. Ugh, uh, uh, uh. It's like really, like you get this guy who either like they use prosthetics or like he has some sort of like you know, very asymmetrical face and teeth. And like, that's what you reduce him to. It's like, so the guy's face is also his entire personality. Right. <laughs> like that, that to me seemed like kind of messed up. <laughs> oh, so, well, you I did, did have I, a note about what to do with the kid. Yeah. We had a note, but like <laughs> from the principal, I just ran 40 miles up a mountain. Like, I'm totally fine. How long was he running? Did that kid have any food? Did they put a hat on him? Was he just exposed to like vicious sunburn on the top of his head? Like what was going on? Did he go potty? I mean, come on. Like, oh, this is my most loyal servant. It's like, that's your most loyal servant. Right. That dude who cannot speak and just kind of grunts. And like, even then he like grunts and gestures and waves his arms. And it's like, Oh, it's like Lassie communicated. I was going to say, Oh, is Timmy trapped in the well? (laughs) Is the, is the, the, the golden snake trapped down a well? Like what's going on? Oh my God. And he kind of was, Oh my God. But, um, and, uh, I'm like, wait a minute. Philip Quack's supposed to be in his early 20s now? Come on. <laughs> Come on. That might be the least believable part. Actually, the least believable part of the whole thing is when they're going through like all the rules. Yeah. And again, this is the second consecutive movie that we've watched where it's like, oh, I hope no one finds the secret to my kung fu that I've written down in, in a step-by-step instruction manual. <laughs> um. But when they're reading through the thing and it's like, oh, yes. And rule seven, chastity. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't catch that till my second viewing. I was like, Protect what? the innocent. All for it. Don't kill the innocent. <laughs> totally. You know, be a good dude. Gotcha. Uh, chastity. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not today. <laughs> nope. Um, and I, I want to. I. <laughs> And we do get to see this guy. And again, one of my favorite things about these movies is looking for new weapons 
that we get to we get to see people use during the film. Iron Abacus. Like, yes. is that like the most punk sounding accountant you've ever heard? <laughs> who 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 says I'm gonna take this calculator and that's gonna be my weapon of choice? What's your name? <laughs> uh uh Iron <laughs> Abacus, like looking around the room to see like shoe, rice, like you know, wine jug. It's like uh clay pillow. Like what's the Kevin Spacey movie? Uh the usual suspects uh, uh Kaiser Soze. Kaiser Soze, yeah. yeah. Kobayashi, that's what it was. It was Kobayashi, yeah. the, the, the name of the porcelain. Right. But yeah, it's it's no, it's I was thinking more the uh, the family guy episode where they're like, what's your name? And he's like, uh, and he's like looking around and the guy's eating peas. He's like, pee. And then there's a girl crying. He's like, tear. And then a griffin flies by. He's like, griffin, Peter Griffin. Oh, crap. <laughs> but like that was, you know, a griffin flying. But, but it's like. Did he? He didn't do any math that I'm aware of. Like, oh, he's very smart, so we named him after an abacus. It's like, <laughs> no, what? I told you, a calculator and, was his weapon of choice. <laughs> and they even said, again, this goes back to my. He's in his early twenties. They even said, like, oh, they're about the same age as you. Yeah, if twenty and sixty are the same, <laughs> right? Oh, I've been studying martial arts for forty years. You know, how old are you? I'm four. Like. <laughs> Wow, we're practically the same age. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. Come on. But I had a lot of fun with this movie. Um I will also say one of the one of the more um improbable things that happened. How amazing was that grave he dug with, with a, a sword? sword. <laughs> yes. And it was perfectly rectangular, you know. It was like perfect. Like it was almost like it was done off screen and like he just kind of like chipped away at it a little bit with with uh, with the sword on screen. That's no. almost what it looked like. No, he could never um, have done that. But you know, practical effects and all. That's um And as far as the girl again, I was so confused because we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, and this one really like drove home like oh she must also be a martial arts practitioner. That's the only reason they're calling her brother and referring to her as he. Right. I thought it was a problem with the subtitles because there were some issues with the subtitles. Oh, there were a lot of issues with the subtitles. I am having to get revenging on him. (laughs) We will leave with the loots. Like loots? Like loot is plural, like moose or deer. Right. (laughs) But like... So I'm like, all right, maybe there's something I'm missing. Let me do a little bit of research once this movie's over. But they did. It's like, oh, I bet you didn't know I was a girl. Like she came out. It's not like in Tootsie where she pulls off a wig. Right. It's like, you were Dustin Hoffman this whole time? Spoiler (laughs) alert. Uh, It was. It was like she never dressed any differently. I was like, man, she acts like an entitled bitch this entire time. Like she sucks whiny and like falling on the floor and crying it's like what the fuck are you 12 like 
Oh, you played the flute. Wow, that was amazing. Oh, you despise me. Uh, and she snaps the flute in half. It's like, what the fuck? Like, well, since we're on the topic of that, I, on the rewatch, I found a line of dialogue that kind of explains at least, um, uh, Philip Quark's point of view because he basically says, Oh, I've lived in the mountains my whole life. I've never actually seen a girl. So that I could kind of maybe believe. Maybe he yeah. just thought she was like an effeminate twelve-year-old boy or something. And again, her cousin, uh, uh, uh yeah, looked. I was like, I, that was one of my notes. Like, oh, he's prettier than she is. Right. Like, <laughs> fine, okay, I get it, but like, I don't, because like, again, she comes out playing the flute the second time, and he's like, oh, you're a girl. It's like. Yeah, she's looked the same. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, your hair is different." You know, there was no reveal. It's not like it's like my name is Edward Kimberly. Like, you know, not, <laughs> there was no Mrs. Doubtfire moment where the mask is starting to slip off, or right. like, and it's not like she walked around like, "Oh, my name is Wen." You know, like she talked like a a, a a female the entire time. Like there was never any like ambiguity. Like I don't get it. Like right. Oh, and all she had to do was whine, and Philip Quack would do whatever she wanted. He'd be like, "All right, I gotta go." No, you gotta stay. All right, I'll stay. You know, <laughs> it's like. But I mean, even you do that with even, a girl, like, not with a dude. <laughs> like they were trying to kill her. No big deal. Like she was slashing people left and right. Yeah. And they called her a bitch and she cried. Right. Like <laughs> that should have been your first sign. <laughs> like that right there. I'm like, oh, like because they call her a bitch a few times. Like her and her mom. They're like, oh, this bitch. It's like, wow, yeah. that's what. And, you know, and I have in my notes why refer to her as brother? Because I wanted to look that up. And then I wrote he's prettier than she is and then my next note is holy shit she sucks because i have like 11 views that's hilarious and uh uh loots was my other <laughs> just in quotation loots well when when and, her and uh, uh philip quack meet at the at uh, the restaurant at the beginning the waiter refers to her as her and she like and quack doesn't even bat an eyelash you know, <laughs> yeah. Nobody like, figures it out. I don't know. That was just, and I've read, I've read a few comments online about how, you know, that's one trope that it's just basically the poorly, the the world's poorly kept secret. <laughs> yeah, it's Poorest terrible. Kept. Like, and I'm at the, and I'm at the, uh, the the uh, the last note that I have on here because I stopped taking notes after a while was, you know, something to remind me to look this up because it was like. Oh, your third uncle and your second grandpa, oh and it's God, like, yeah. I'm, I'm what I'm guessing is birth order. Oh, that's, okay. That's what I think is yeah. uh, is what they're referring to. It's like, oh, this is my fourth uncle. It's like, how many are you going through? Like, right. And then his fourth <laughs> uncle was dead in the coffin, but that was a different fourth uncle. But then, like, there's different, like. Oh, you studied this school and you're older than me? Well, you're my uncle too. It's like Right. What? Yeah. <laughs> like so there's like the honorific title of, you know, brother and uncle. Yes. And then there's like the literal title of brother Familial, and uncle. Familial, yeah. 
Yeah, so it's like that it was it was kind of throwing me off, especially where again, she's obviously a girl. How is it no one sees this until like seventy five percent through the movie? Right. Which was the family just going along with it? Oh yeah, she thinks she's a dude and then they were just you know, progressive in that way. They were like, okay, she wants to be a boy. She's a boy. You know, they didn't care. See, and that's the other thing. Like, <laughs> obviously, they know she's not a dude. Like, what? I was just so confused. Like, it didn't make any sense to me. And it was like, it, yeah, it kind of took me out of the, like, the world that they were trying to create because it kept, it was so confusing and it threw me off. And it's like this, it's so inconsistent. Well, and the subtitles didn't help because they were inconsistent, too, because they would refer to her as a she, but then refer to her as a he. And it was like, well, make up your mind. Who is she supposed to be in this scene? You know? Yeah. So, I mean, it it wasn't a huge deal. Um, obviously, it didn't, you know, take away from my overall enjoyment of the film. Uh, oh, I thought it was I hilarious. Some of, the, uh, some of the fight scenes were awesome. And again, we got to see some cool new weapons like. Oh, yeah. Abacus and a hairpin. Yeah. Now I thought the hairpin, um, because it was thrown at the poison tea, was going to be poison. He was going to scratch somebody, and they were going to die. Right. But that didn't happen. And then he put it in his mouth at one point to hold on to it while he was fighting. <laughs> yeah. I will say one of the uh, one of the cooler things that I saw was the design of the the um, the sword there. The snake sword? Yeah, the yellow snake sword, because it kind of looked like a flame at the end. Oh, yeah. Like, because it had, like, that two little, like, the, the almost like two prongs at the end. That's cool. I and just thought it was kind of cool. One thing I forgot, too, I, I didn't put in my notes, but um, the chick that comes in and chops that dude's arm off, uh, Phil Kwok breaks the tip of her sword off and to the point where he uses that to defeat everybody else in the room. For like he shoots electricity through it. Yeah, yeah. That was weird. They did that again too. Electricity showed up when the swords were clashing at a later point. But, but anyways, so she puts her sword back and then she pulls it out again at, at the end of the scene and it's like all healed up. <laughs> like it's fully. She might have grabbed one of the, one of the ten that he brought in. Oh yeah. <laughs> but there was so many cool weapons in this. I mean, there was, um, what was the, the, um, the, the dude had the two hand, the two headed spear that could detach in the center and become two weapons and then put back again. Yeah, that was really cool. I liked that. Uh, we've seen stuff like that before. Yeah. I didn't, I kind of didn't count that as a new weapon. Um, but like the, deftness and the dexterity that he had with it as he's like swinging it around. And like even at one point putting it back together, which you barely see, so like, yeah, to to block uh, to block some shots, like that was that was pretty great. Yeah, yeah. And I forget which character this is, but Ma uh, Master Wen had the um, the massive gold bladed halberd. I think that was the grandfather. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There were some there were some cool some cool weapons in this. Um, the snake shaped darts. Those are awesome. What I didn't understand was. The when he drove the the guy's staff into the ground and it like melted the sand or whatever. I was like, going to mention that. Or I thought it like put an impression in the concrete. Is what I thought. Like yeah, it almost looked like it was wet cement. Yeah, and, and they were all like, 
I was like, did he superheat it? And like, that's what happened. Like, I don't know. Or he, he, I thought, see, I thought he hit it so hard that it just left a, an impression in the solid ground. I think that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah. But like, it was clearly like wet cement. Yeah. <laughs> so again, like, maybe it would be different if we spoke Chinese and didn't have to rely on the subtitles. Right. Uh, I think yeah. the, that's an issue that we come across a lot. Like even when it's dubbed, cause it l- didn't even look like it, w- it looked like it was dubbed in Chinese. They, they weren't their real voices probably cause they don't, they don't shoot them with voices or they didn't, they didn't shoot audio. So, but um, one other weapon too, that I thought was cool that uh Chang Shang had the, what was it? The dual Tonfaz with the, the yeah, curl. A bunch, the of those, a bunch of guys had those. Yeah. That was cool. A lot of dual weapons in this. Dual, dual spears, dual axes, dual swords. The daggers, yeah. those like massive daggers. Yeah, there was a lot of really awesome stuff in there. Yeah. I have to say, I really enjoyed this movie. I loved it. I thought it was fun. I kind of, the first, like I watched it twice. And the first time I watched it through, I kind of thought I got everything. And then as I was going through the research and, uh, you know, putting together all the notes for the show and everything, and I watched it again earlier today, and I realized I missed a whole bunch of stuff. Like, there's a scene where Philip Kwok walks in at towards the beginning where he's already, you know, he's got the, um, he found the treasure map and all that stuff. And it said, bring the treasure to this lady. And let me see if I can find that in my notes here, because it's very specific. And But he says something completely different. Where is it? Uh, oh, yeah. So the instructions on the back of the map say to find a woman named Wen Yi. But um, when he gets to the Wen house, he says he's looking for a young man named Wen who's about 17 or 18. So that threw me off because I was well, like, that was, that's what she said. Her name was. Oh, so he thought, OK. He was just like he wasn't um, giving away the whole game, I think. OK. Because it's not till the end that the mother says, because he says, oh, are you, is your surname Yi? And she says, yes. And then I went back and looked and I was like, oh, okay, she's Wen Yi. Because he had the, the will. Yeah, in his, like, tunic the whole time. <laughs> These guys. Like, it never ripped, it never tore it. Meanwhile, you know, poor Bud Spencer can't have a watch for five minutes without <laughs> it scattering. But, yeah, you these know, guys this guy seem to can... have pockets everywhere for tails and. <laughs> yeah, this guy can fight for you know days at a time, and never, ever, ever, ever have an issue. Never sweat on the wheel and you know melt the uh, or blur the uh, ink. <laughs> oh man! So let's just get into the cast a little bit here. Of course, it's directed by Chang Che, and uh, another one written by Ni Kuang. Uh, which is, it's adapted from a novel of the same name, Sword Stained with Royal Blood, by a guy named Louis Cha, who also goes by Jin Yong. So I'm sure that's his real name. Um, and as we mentioned, we've got Philip Kwok as Yuan Chen Shi, which I thought, first of all, I'm going to say, I thought he was outstanding here. I think I'm watching this, and in the first third of the film, I'm like, this dude is in his prime with his skill. He seemed even more, didn't he seem more buff in this movie than he has been? Yeah, his arms were definitely way more defined than usual, but he didn't yeah. take his shirt off, so maybe he skipped chest day. Maybe. <laughs> but his arms were definitely way more, you know, it wasn't one of those, like, I recognize him based on his, like, because he's flexing, like, and I recognize him. Yeah. Like, that's not how that was. You know, you know, like the last movie, it's like, 
It must be you. Right. <laughs> that way. Bob Johnson, uh, it must be you. Yeah. Um but like you could definitely see on certain things like certain moves that he made, he was definitely like, All right, I am not wearing sleeves in this movie. Yeah. Not happening. <laughs> I've worked too hard on these arms. <laughs> but his technique though, I mean his his fighting and acrobatic skills, I man, they pushed him to the limit in this movie, I thought. Yeah, there was a lot of things like the the multiple backflips uh, in the the final fight scene where he just kept doing backflip after backflip. Obviously, there was a lot of wire work and yeah. a lot of like, reversing. Like, oh, I'm jumping down from a, a high height, but I'm going to make it look like I'm jumping up to right. a high yeah. height. But like a lot of the you know acrobatics and the floor stuff where he's like you know flipping and rolling and like jumping to his feet you know from a prone position. Uh, it was. It was some of the best stuff I've seen him do. Yeah. Yeah, this was his movie, I think. This was the one that really showed him off. And, you know, you mentioned the wire work, and I was thinking about this when I was watching it. I don't know if the versions we're watching, they've maybe cleaned them up, but I haven't seen any wires in, like, the last five films that we've watched. No, you you very rarely will see it because it's... I think that those scenes are filmed completely separately, like really the only time you see a cut, like you might see a change in angle during a fight, but the only time you see a cut is when, you know, like when the sword was stuck in the ceiling and he like jumps up to it and does all these weird moves while on the ceiling. Yeah. Or when he jumps through the, like the paneled wall there because the angle at which he jumped through and then the move he does right after that, like, there's no way those two things were shot <laughs> in the same day, right. let alone, like, as one continuous sequence. <laughs> so, like, that stuff, it's like, okay, suspension of disbelief. I get it. I mean, you still don't really see the wires unless you're really, really looking. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the way that they were able to showcase him was phenomenal. You know what I'd love to know about these fights? Um, again, something not quite related. But you, have you ever seen the film Singing in the Rain? Um, no, but I am familiar with it. Okay, there's a scene where Donald O'Connor does a song. I think it's Make Him Laugh. Uh, it might be the song. Yeah, and and he does all these amazing like run up the wall and flip backwards and stuff. And I guess it took them two days to film that. And after that, he was so, like, just wiped out that he was out of commission for two weeks. So I wonder, like, what kind of toll this kind of stuff takes on these guys, because they're doing even way more than he does in that scene. And and that's pretty impressive to begin with, the, the scene that he did. Yeah, I I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, they got to... And these guys were cranking out, like, two, three, four films a year. It's like... You know, no wonder, like, Lo Meng after a while was like, yeah, I'm going to st- sit this one out, you know? <laughs> yeah, it makes sense, because uh, after a while, uh, you know, it, it was, <laughs> it takes its toll on you. <laughs> oh, uh, I was I was kind of sad that there was no Lo Meng and no Chang Shen. Sun Chen, Sun Chen, Chang was. Um but even Chang Sheng and Lu Feng in this, I felt like they were kind of wasted. They didn't really do all that much either. No, it was uh, it, it was definitely Philip Clocks doing all the heavy lifting, and everybody else is just kind of there. 
Yeah. Pony like, Nose was back. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, I thought it was a good way to showcase uh, Philip Quack and really give him, because I mean, everybody generally gets their own thing. Usually it's, you know, uh, Lomang doing his comedic routine because there wasn't really any comedy unless it was like unintentional in this movie. Yeah. You know, like loots. We'll take the loots. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. And then we've got um, a ca- uh, an actress named Wen Sui-er, uh also known as Candy Wen, who played Wen Xing Xing. Or if she's a boy, she's just Wen Xing. She, does, she drops the other Xing. Um, she's been in a handful of films. We're going to see her again uh, pretty soon in a movie called Ode to Gallantry. But I thought her character was just obnoxious. Um, you know, and it was such a silly trope, uh, that she disguises herself as a dude and all the dumbasses in the film fall for it until she changes her hair. And, you know, like I said before, she just, she gets whiny and Philip Kwok changes his mind and does whatever she says. It's like, really? If, cause if a guy did that to me, I'd be like, screw you, man. You know, go, go lift some weights and come back and talk to me. And he thought <laughs> that he, that she was a guy the whole time and right. still did that. Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying. My my whole thing, you know what she is? She's Kung Fu Veruca Salt. That's who she is. Ah! I want a bean feast. <laughs> I want your arm now, Daddy. <laughs> oh my God! Go the gold. Prove it. <laughs> right. like, well, I was sleeping. Oh, so you were sleeping? You didn't see me. Yeah, but I heard a rumor. Oh, well, really? Rumors, evidence? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Give me that guy's arm. <laughs> That was great. Not only am I going to keep the gold, I want her arm, too. So next time I see you, bring me her arm. Oh, man. One thing to note, too, that all three of the Venom guys in this were also the fight coordinators in this movie, which would explain why they're so good. Oh, yeah. Like, these were some of the better fights I've seen. You know, again, like we, we talked about off air, you know, my my wife, because I usually, again, because I always procrastinate on these, I end up having to watch them at like one and a half to double speed. <laughs> my, I was, you know, pointing it out to my wife. We were watching because we had a, a quick snack for dinner. And I was like, I was like, look at how fast these guys are. She's like, yeah, so you're watching it at one and a half speed. I'm like, no, I'm not. She's like, oh, well, <laughs> then that is impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and there's no cuts. It's not like a guy throws a punch and there's like 15 camera angles. And like, clearly, like, as he cocks back his fist, you know, it's clearly Chris Evans. But when he throws the punch, it's clearly not Chris Evans. Stuntman, yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. That guy has like a handlebar mustache. That's not Captain America. Like, <laughs> What's that movie? Was it I'm going to get you, sucker? Where the little old lady is fighting these guys, and she like picks one guy up over his shoulders and spins him around, but you can clearly see it's a it's a stunt man with a big handlebar mustache and a cigar in his mouth spinning the guy around. Oh, oh, no! You know what it is? It's Spaceballs. These are not them. You've captured their stunt double. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, like that's. That's what, and it's Princess Vespa is a guy with a big mustache. Right. <laughs> oh, Stephen Tobolowski in one of my favorite roles for him. <laughs> you thought you could outwit the Imperious forces of <gasps> you idiots! <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Uh, everybody likes to talk about Deadpool breaking the fourth wall, but like nobody did it like Mel Brooks. <laughs> the best was when they're having the lightsaber fight and he kills the camera guy. <laughs> Uh, he did it. And they did a similar thing in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights when he goes to uh, stab the guy and misses and ends up like there's like the gaffer sitting there and like he stabs his bagel. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry. Here you go, old chap. There. <laughs> like that shit was funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm there are times when I'm watching this these fights and i'm like half expecting something like that to happen like something falls down and it wakes up uh chang shi is he supposed to be directing right <laughs> although i was i was uh again ashes was watching a little bit of this um and she's like wow that blood looks super real i'm like all the blood looks like this in every yeah. one of the movies yeah. it's like very clearly like paint and ketchup like yeah i mean you know the same could be said for dawn of the dead and pretty much most of the hammer films of the 50s and 60s it just oh yeah like technicolor paint red blood kind of <laughs> now you had mentioned a little while ago and i don't know if it was uh before we started recording that this was actually remade in 1993 yes. and it starred yun biao and Danny Lee and Yun Bia, I've seen him in a bunch of Hong Kong films with Jackie Chan and Samuel Hung uh, back in the 90s. And they also made a TV series out of this in 85 called Big Hugh Gim, which I think is the same thing. And all of those are also based on the novel. You know, and I, I've read a lot of um, criticisms that this movie is kind of convoluted and we've sort of touched on most of that. Um, what? Convoluted? <laughs> I don't know. I felt like like when I first watched it, I was able to follow it a little bit easy. Um, and actually, I got confused the second time around because I was realizing I was wrong about things I thought in the first time. But as we said, it's based on this novel. And I believe the novel is like this huge sweeping tale. So for them to be able to, at least for the Shaws, to be able to boil it down to a 95-minute mo movie was pretty impressive. I, I will I will say this. Okay, um, we're talking about unintentional comedy and convolution <laughs> when they follow him into the 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 uh the 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 grave site and they go to open the thing and the one guy is like he's like yeah yeah open this and like he opens it and all the arrows and shit shoot out and kill him he's like huh that's why you're dead because you're stupid and then he <laughs> <laughs> and starts like reading the manual and he's like Licking his finger, turning, turning the, page. the pages. Yeah, and he gets to the pages like, "Oh, you've been poisoned." He's like, "Oh, poison!" Oh, and dies. But like, <laughs> doesn't realize he's been poisoned until he gets to that page. <laughs> but I like that scene because it was one of those, you know, Alfred Hitchcock things where if two guys are talking at a desk and the desk blows up, there's no suspense. You get that jump scare. But if the audience knows there's a bomb under the desk, you're going, no, no, don't sit there talking. The bomb's going to blow up. You know, it's the same thing because they set it all up when Philip Kwok found all the notes and read all the notes and he followed the instructions and then bad guys came. Oh, so he buries everything. So it was just fun knowing that they were going to get the darts and the poison. At least I thought I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh Oh boy. Uh yeah. 
I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> Since we've been watching the subtitle versions, have you ever noticed, and I noticed this last film too, whenever they say yes in Chinese, it sounds like they're saying sure. Sure. Well, that's sure. uh, I, that's actually something I brought up with Ashes is um, that English is a language that borrows from a lot of other languages. Yeah. And Chinese is far older than what we currently know as like standard English. So it's entirely realistic to think that that's because they were like, yeah, okay. And they were saying, sure. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. So like someone was like probably started using that. I didn't even think of that. That's, that's pretty cool. Actually. That makes total sense. <laughs> There was a couple of times where Phil Quark sounded like he was speaking Chinese with like a Texas accent, too. <laughs> it's like, partner. Well, yeah, like, well, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, it's like, well, howdy. Like, <laughs> and it's like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you watch their mouths move, not everybody, but certain characters. It didn't match up. It was. It's kind of like watching the spaghetti westerns, where, like, you know, this is an Italian guy who's trying to speak English. Yeah. And Bud Spencer. Um, <laughs> I hate to pick on poor Bud Spencer, but like, um, it's always something like that. <laughs> Give me more beans. <laughs> There's that big, strong Bud Spencer. Hey, guys, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's worse. Played by Prince. <laughs> Bud Spencer played by Prince. Wouldn't it be funny if you could get a video if you had the time and, you know, take all of Prince's dialogue and put it under Bud Spencer in a movie? <laughs> I would No, if I could do that, it would be Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, there you go. Just hire him to do it. Yeah, right? <laughs> I need a two and a half hour cameo. <laughs> there was a guy on his show recently that said, do you have a special mic made just for your voice? <laughs> yeah, right. I do like the scene, though, when when now um, Philip Quark's all grown up at the beginning, and the, the teacher tells him, yeah, I've only trained three dudes in my life, <laughs> and you're the third. Yeah, like that was kind of weird. He's like eighty. Like, really? What oh, are yeah. you doing with yourself? Also, the fuck kind of chess were they playing? It looked like Chinese checkers. <laughs> but they said repeatedly, chess. Right. Oh, this is my checkerboard. So first of all, there's no like alternating pattern here. Right. There's Second no horsey. All, there's no castle. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like it almost looked like. Um, not Mancala. Oh, what's oh I know what you mean. Backgammon. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's like backgammon pieces. Yeah. But also Othello. Like, what are they playing? Right. It's not chess. <laughs> and then he goes, I'm giving you the white piece. And he hands him the whole box of silver pieces. And I thought, I thought Quack was going to have to look through and find the white piece. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Again, I think that's something that... Again, we see this over and over again. Things get lost in translation, and we have some issues 
uh, when it comes to that. Well, especially in 1981, the dudes doing that were probably like, ah, oh, fuck it. They won't know whether if it's chess or checkers. Who cares? <laughs> Call it chess. Uh, you've, you've sunk my battleship. <laughs> but I was glad on the second watch I caught this because he tells him about, um, of course, Quark's the third student. And then he's also got Iron Abacus Wang Jin and um, Brother Invincible Fist. Which yeah, you never cool. even see him. Like, no, yeah, this but fist and like magic sword and like Harry Potter. I don't. I don't <laughs> there's a, there's a, a reference later. Um, oh, the lady that cut the daughter. Um, uh, the lady that cut the guy's arm off. She's the daughter of Invincible Fist. Oh, okay. Kind of but yeah, we don't line. see him though. No, but. There's a lot of characters we don't see and they talk about. I think 23rd Uncle wasn't shown. Or... <laughs> I, I will say, though, I did not expect to see Iron Abacus. 100% not a character I was waiting. I was expecting him to have, like, the thing built into his chest, kind of like the guy from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, like that weird, like, robe that he was wearing, that weird ceremonial thing with, like, all the, like, the different Simon board pieces on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I thought he was going to have the abacus built into him, and it was going to be, like, his defense, kind of like uh, the kid with the golden arms. Right, right. It's like, ah, oh, you can't stab me. I have an iron abacus. Like, <laughs> I was expecting it to be like that. What was the one that we watched where the dude had the abacus, and he, like, he would break it open, and all the beads would shoot out and stab into you, and then it could turn the thing into, like, a tonfa or something? Or a, or a three- Wasn't that life gamble? It might have been. Yeah, yeah, I think that was it. Because he was like the accountant, and he was like, ha yeah. I will kill you with my murder abacus. Like, <laughs> I call it, no, no, what, didn't I call it like a stabacus or something? Stabacus, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, geez, look at this here. Now, one thing I did notice, and I you know you and I talked um, off mic uh, about the fact that I, I watched all four Ip Man films, and um, this doesn't ruin any of the movies, uh, but they when they characters go to fight they have you know closed fists and the palm over the fist and they look at each other and each person says please and then they go into combat and that kind of stuck with me because they did that a lot in those movies and i noticed it in this movie and i don't know if i've noticed it in any of the previous venom films but they quack and other opponents did that quite a bit in this movie they do it a lot it is uh it's like um like in karate, when they do like the full bow, right? Like this is—it's almost like a greeting. Like you have your your right fist and your left fist behind, and you kind of push it out a little bit. Yeah, and it's like, you know, and like that's a that's a greeting. Like you stand, uh, with your feet together, stand up straight, and you know, kind of almost like you're you're pushing the greeting towards them, and like you're showing that you don't have a weapon or anything like that. Like, right, right. Yeah, it was just funny. Sir, I never noticed it before. Yeah, they've they've done it uh, plenty of times, but again, I I noticed it because this was like in our kung fu class. This is how we greeted everyone: "Hello, ma'am. Hello, sir." Like that was just right. the way it was done. Yeah, like even if we saw each other out in public, like there was a guy that worked at a, a store that I used to go to, and I would see him, and I'd be like, "Hello, sir." Like every single time, and we do the we do the exact greeting, like we'd stand at attention. That's awesome. And, and do that, yeah. So that's like they've done it because it's kung fu. Uh, I guess it doesn't matter the style. Like you know, that's the greeting. Yeah, that's just how you're taught. Like that's being respectful. That's like again, like bowing in karate. Right. Yeah. 
And that's one thing, too, that I really enjoyed about this movie is that Philip Kwok was very respectful of everyone. But everybody who was being respected was always like, no, 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 it's okay. You don't have to bother me, you know. And they would literally grab the person's elbow and push them back up to a standing position. <laughs> it was if they were kneeling and they were, like, of similar stature. Yeah. Similar stature or sometimes age. Like, Philip Kwok would be like, no, 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 we're practically Well, that's what I mean, like, st- like, similar standing in the in community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was cool. I thought, I really liked it. I saw it kind of came through quite a bit in this movie where even the bad guys were really polite, <laughs> except for that chick that cut the guy's arm off. <laughs> yeah, she was kind of a jerk. Oh, and the what the fuck's her name? Uh, uh, when? Yeah, she sucked. She was like the biggest jerk. She's like, oh, give me that guy's arm. <laughs> I'm a jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. But there was a lot of cool superhuman jumping around and throwing guys around. I mean, didn't Philip Kwok at one point, like, throw a guy across the room and run over and catch him before he hit the ground? And he also caught a guy that was thrown 100 feet. Right. (laughs) I just didn't want anyone to get hurt. It's like you caught a dude who was thrown with one hand. Right. Like from a significant distance but yeah he did he threw the guy up in the air and then caught him like yeah. it's like come on <laughs> you know that makes me think there's this dude and again a little bit off topic but um are you familiar with Kowloon's restaurant in Saugus Mass yeah okay I've actually driven by it oh, okay I've eaten there zillions of times because I used to live in Saugus and Stoneham but um I know the owner his name's Donald Wong he's uh at least when I lived there a few years ago, he was a state rep. I don't know if he still is, but he would do this thing. And we went and videotaped it one time because I worked at the cable station um, a few years ago. And he does this energy thing where like you'll put your arm out and he just he doesn't touch you, but he passes his hand sort of like his his forefinger and his thumb are like in the letter C and he puts it over your arm and he moves them back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then he just pushes his hands towards you. Doesn't even touch you. And you go flying backwards. Yeah. It's a uh, Reiki, Reiki. Uh, and, and Chi. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, what it is. Yeah. And it's amazing. I mean, he literally does not touch the person and the person goes flying. Not quite like in this movie, in this movie, but it just, that always reminds me of that. Yeah, like that's um, yeah, that's it, it. It all depends on like what your specific discipline is and like where your concentration is. But yeah, there are there are folks who can do that. Like I've seen, like if you go to um, you know, you see some of the what you call it's um, <clears throat> like documentaries on like you know like the Buddhist temples and stuff. You see like trees that have all these holes in them, and the holes are from fingers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, like Iron Finger in the last movie, who didn't actually use his Iron Fingers to do anything. <laughs> oh no, he cut the 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 uh, dominoes in half. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and and another interesting sort of Chinese pressure point thing. Did you notice when um, the dude got his arm chopped off? Philip Quack runs up and he just starts like hitting him with his fingers all the way around the wound, which I would imagine was to stop the bleeding. Yeah, like, you know, a succession of pressure points. Um, you know, I think it, it definitely did something. I don't know what. Right. And then he offers to teach the guy one-armed swordsmanship. <laughs> he he tells the, the girl there when. He's like, yeah, don't worry. I'll teach that guy how to fight one-armed. 
Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll totally teach him. It's like, no, will you, though? (laughs) Oh, my God. So um, there was one point where the girl introduces the grandfather. They never actually say his name. She just says, this is my grandpa. And um, then Lu Feng was her uncle Nan Yang. And then her fourth uncle was Bai Yang, was the pointy nose guy, who's a different fourth uncle than the one that was found in the coffin in the flashback. And uh, the fifth brother is known as Wen Fang, uh, or Wen Fang, I should say. And then Chiang Sheng's her cousin. Um, we talked about the Ten Swords. Uh, but but at least Philip Kwok got to spar with um, uh, uh, Lu Fang and Chiang Sheng. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, like that was that was a, a fun little uh, a fun little scene, but you know it's uh, it almost seems like a prerequisite. Like you have to have those guys if you have more than one Venom. Like they, you know, at least you know one of them has to fight the other, even right. if it's just a friendly thing or like some of the like the the, the fun banter that we see uh, Lo Meng, yeah. not banter, but like fun back and forth, like skill skill uh, demonstrations that we see, uh, you know. Uh, Lo Meng doing in in pretty much every one of the movies. Right. Oh, dude. So the funniest part. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but I found this to be the funniest part of the whole freaking movie. When <laughs> the mother starts telling the story of what happened in the past, and she says to Lu Feng, well, Golden Snake saved your life, didn't he? And he's like, well, yeah, he did save my life. And she goes, why don't you tell that story? And he goes, well, I was going to rape this girl. And then they were, like, they caught what? me. <laughs> and they were going to execute me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he pretty much came out and got me out of prison. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, like that was, that was something that was, I was like, yeah, so this is what I was going to do. And I think they threw that in there because they talked about like what happened with her mother. And it's like, that's not what happened with your mom. Right. Like you lied or somebody lied. Right. At first, I thought the mother told her that. But then later on, she goes, but Golden Snake was my father. And the grandfather's like, don't talk like that, young lady. You know, so it's like, oh, she did know. So she lied to Phil Kwok. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. she lied to him a couple of times. She's like, oh, my mom was raped. Also, I'm a girl. Uh. <laughs> I mean, she never said I'm a girl or I'm a dude. Right. But like. Clearly. You're not a girl. I think, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but her leaving the second Shing off her name, she said was what made people think she was a boy somehow. I don't know. I mean, definitely when she came out the second time when he realized she was a girl, her hair was done in a girlish manner and she had like a, a different, completely different kind of feminine outfit on. But she just looked the (laughs) same every time to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I was going to rape this chick and uh, they they decided to try and kill me, but <laughs> But then there was an, a weird part in the extended flashback um which yet again like the last film. And in fact, uh we we'll talk about that in the next movie too. This for some reason whatever it is, the the films that we've been watching lately have sort of um uh, not hinged, but they relied on, I guess is the word I'm looking for, relied on flashbacks. Uh, yeah, like, I, <clears throat> I'm kind of not a huge fan of seeing 
you know, narrative storylines delivered through this is how we got, you know, you're probably wondering how I got myself into this wacky situation, you know, and we're going to talk about that a little more with our next film. Yeah. But um, that kind of irritates me. It's like, start your story where your story starts. Right. I feel like there's very few movies where the flashbacks are critical to the storyline. I, in fact, the only one that comes to mind right now is Highlander. That movie you need the flashbacks. Frailty as well. Yes, frailty. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, but and you know, like certain directors will use flashbacks as their storytelling device. Right. You know, Tarantino does it. M Night Shyamalan does it. Um, like pretty much every time, which I think is unnecessary, but that's me. Um, <laughs> like it's fine to tell a, a flashback here and there. But again, if it's supposed to be over a period of 15 or 20 years and the only thing you do is, like, give your guy bushier eyebrows in the present, like, <laughs> the only one who looked different between, the, between, like, the old version of themselves and, like, the flashback version of themselves was, was Philip Kwok. Uh, <laughs> Everybody well, else looks exactly the same, except they have a slightly grayer fake beard. Well, Lu Fang didn't have a beard when he was younger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess. I, but like everybody else, it's like, like again, the the mute caveman guy who apparently is a master swordsman, right? Um, he looked ex- like they didn't even like. Uh, let's throw some like talcum powder in his beard, make it look like he's aged. Nope. Nope. <laughs> in twenty years, he went from let's call it let's call it seventeen to thirty-seven, and he doesn't look any different. Right. I know I look different between <laughs> those twenty years, but uh, that's me. Well, he what learned how I to know? say "fire good" <laughs> in yeah. between the. Oh man, but I thought the um the backstory of the Golden Snake was interesting because it turned out he really wasn't a villain per se. He apparently he was friends with the fourth uncle, but then the fourth uncle raped and killed his sister and his parents. So he basically swore vengeance and says, oh, I'm killing fifty of your people and and ravishing ten of your women. The parents. Yeah. yeah, he didn't he didn't rape the parents, but Oh he, yeah. <laughs> he's like <laughs> the wife and sister and then killed his parents. And he's like, all right, so for us to be even, I'm going to have to kill 50 of your family and ravish 10 of your women, like you said. And it's like, that's not even. Right. Even's like, you know, four for four. Like, this is 60. You raped my parents. (laughs) Yeah, you know those two two women that went missing? Yeah, Uh, they're in the brothel. Right. What? Have someone go and search every single brothel in town. Chief, I'll go. <coughs> yeah, it might take me a while. <laughs> I need some money, you know, for information. Like, let me, I'll I'll head down there. I volunteer. I will go alone. I don't want anyone to bring shame to their families. <laughs> I'll inspect every I'm woman. Here alone. <laughs> I will leave no stone unturned. <laughs> 
But then he ends up capturing the mother and taking her. Well, she's not the mother yet at this point, but I forget her name. Oh, Wen Yi. And, um, takes her, takes her with him to his cave, which turned out to be the cave that where he croaks in too. And then she falls in love with him, of course. And he says, all right, I won't kill any more members of your family. She's like, but I'm going to go find the treasure. I'll bring you home. I'll go find the treasure and then I'll come get you. Okay, cool. Got a plan. And then she goes home. And then for the next 30 years, the family treats her like shit. <laughs> yeah, like, like, oh, you're a terrible human being. How dare you? Shameless. Oh, all right. Shameless. All right. This is, this is the, all right. Talking about the flashback scene. So right before they did like the, 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 uh, the, uh, the five elements array. I was trying to remember what the hell it was called. All I could think of was five point palm exploding yeah. heart technique, but that was kill bill. Um, <laughs> And they're like, oh, you can't elope. We will have a proper wedding for you. And the the three guys sitting there all like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The creepiest shit ever. We'll have a proper wedding. Yes. A proper wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Like the one dude like strokes his beard and they're all like, yeah. It's like, what are you guys like perverts hiding in the bushes right when someone like steps out of the shower like what the fuck like that's the same type of reaction that you would get from it's like oh there's some weird dudes oh it's just eugene and rusty like you know it's like what like right it's like oh this is your sister's wedding yes what are you gonna be wearing it's like Hey, bring some of this totally not poison soup to your husband. Oh, okay. Ooh, this is... Oh, you poisoned me? You right. suck. <laughs> I didn't know there was poison in it. But then it wasn't poison. It was just enough to knock you out for a day. Well, they're still going to slit your throat while you're unconscious. <laughs> no, they're going to cut all his... like. They cut all his veins and tendons. It's like... Oh, yeah. You cut all his veins? <laughs> like... Yeah. Wouldn't that make him dead? And they, you know, going back and watching it again, I noticed they mentioned that at the beginning. They're like, well, what can he do? All his sinews and veins have been cut. But apparently he somehow escaped and got to the cave and buried the treasure and wrote all those notes and set the traps. And That's pretty good for a guy who can't, like, use his hands. And his Achilles tendons have been severed. (laughs) Like, and they didn't. Like, they slit his wrists, and I was so confused when they did that. Let me go, and I'll tell you where the treasure is. Okay, fine. So instead, we're going to torture the shit out of you, and right. tell, you'll tell us where the treasure is, and then we'll let you go. Because what could you possibly... And, like, he said all these Home Alone-style jigsaw traps. Like, <laughs> do me a favor and bury me. But if you do, don't open this end of this chest. Like, dig here. Dig a little further. I don't want worms to get me. And I'm like, you don't want worms to get you. You're a skeleton, first of all. Right. <laughs> Maybe he wasn't a skeleton when he wrote that. I'll concede that point. <laughs> I thought exactly the same thing. But it's like, is, I'm thinking, like, is there a layer of bedrock he's going to have to get to? He's going to need a bigger sword. Like, what are we going to do here? Like, how is this? How is, I'm like, I'm like, clearly, it's like some sort of thing. How did he get that, like, oh, there's somebody outside, like, you know, Lassie came in to let him know that there were people. (laughs) And even then, they were so far away, he had time to bury the treasure chest again, and they they actually, I thought they were going to hide in the cave. the way it was. Yeah. Yeah, he's able to put everything back the way it was. I'm surprised he didn't, like, put all the bush and stuff back and make them re-burn the entryway. Right. 
And I was like, huh. that to me was one of the funniest parts, though. I was like, oh, see, that's why you're dead, because you're stupid. And then, like, he immediately poisons himself. Like, oh. I mean, first of all, like, you just found this book that's been sitting in this trunk for, what, two decades, give or take? And it's like, hmm, let me lick my finger and touch this page. Let me lick my finger again, because there couldn't possibly be anything on here that could cause me any type of harm. And again, they have the whole manual. This is how you do every single one of my... What if that guy was wearing gloves? What if he had mittens on it? It, They found it in the winter, and he's wearing mittens, and he's thumbing through like were those the wrong techniques just in case the guy didn't get poisoned well it wasn't complete at least if it's the same identical book to the one that philip quack used it wasn't complete until he found the like the secret compartment in the back cover of the book that had not only the treasure map but also the final pages of the instructions but still he got far enough along where it's like okay yep okay this is monkey wags its tail all right this is uh you know some of the like it's funny like when he's talking about like i'll use you know thundering earth shake or whatever like there are different moves that have names like that yeah like one of the uh the moves i learned it was uh part of i think like seven star technique is what it was called uh white ape steals the peach that was the name (laughs) of this one series of moves and it's like, huh? Like, and it depend, but like the one that he's at, monkey wags its tail, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think because white ape, white ape steals a peach. There's literally a move where you are reaching up above your head and twisting your your wrist and your hand, so it's like you are grabbing a piece of fruit and pulling it, and you pull down with it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's like. What's monkey wags it like? Do you twerk? Like what? What move is that? <laughs> that's funny. But like that. That's another one of those things, you know. Because I figured I'd throw that out there. Because, like you said, you know, you didn't notice notice like the bowing before, right? But like, it had those different moves. Like, uh, there's a Jet Li movie. Oh, I forget, not like Undisputed or Undefeated or something like that. Um, where he fights all these different dudes. Uh, Is it Invincible? No. No, uh, but he's fighting this one guy, and the guy gets into this stance, and he's like, Jet Li's like, oh, cat's paw. And like the guy's like, no, it's called tiger claw. <laughs> um, and like the, he kept calling it cat's paw because that's probably how he learned it. Yeah. You know, maybe because it was a different style and it's like, oh, that style's inferior to our style. Right. Like right. We, we don't do tiger style, we do crane style or, or whatever. Um so like if you ever watch Kung Fu Panda, like all the different characters, like the snake, the monkey, the mantis, the the tiger, and whatever the last one is that I'm totally missing. Snake, oh tiger, God. monkey, mantis. There's a bird, and, isn't it? Uh, crane. Crane, yeah. Those are all different variants, uh, variant styles of Kung Fu. Right. Which is why they were able to like, oh, we'll just use these animals and anthropomorphize them. And right, like, right, they right. Represent. <laughs> Cause like I've said before, I studied Northern style praying mantis. Yeah. You know, there's white lotus and there's like, there's lots of different types, obviously, like, cause we've seen it a million times in these, in these films. Right. Um, 
I thought yeah. it was oh, I thought it was cool too how they used the five diagram array and that sort of reminded me there's a movie called The Eight Diagram Pole Fighter with Gordon Liu which I hear is really good so we're going to have to check that out but there is was it about strippers I no. <laughs> yeah pole fighters <laughs> no, The Eight be, Diagram Pole Dancer there would be pole dancers but they also had something called the Bagua array and I'm wondering Bagua. what like all right let me explain the scene first for the folks at home um they had this carpet and the uncle comes in, Uncle Abacus, whatever, <laughs> Uncle Jim Bacchus, and he um, he tells Philip Quack, no, no, let me fight first, and you observe, and you'll learn the five diagrams array. And five add, elements. Five elements. I'm sorry. I keep saying five diagrams. Um, and so they're doing this fight around this carpet, and as Philip Quack's watching it, he's seeing, like... The uh, Bagua. On the floor, on the carpet? Yeah, like the thing that it kept switching to, that yeah. is what a bagua is. Okay, I thought that was telling you about the five elements, because then he's like, well, wood it defeats does. fire. And- it does. Uh, so the bagua is also used uh, for feng shuiing a room, like the different energies coming from different elements, like you orient your room based on a bagua. Oh, okay. And he was somehow seeing that in the rug. And that was he was able to actually give his uncle tips on how to, you know, counteract their moves. Yeah, fire, fire counteracts gold, or you know, wood counteracts, you know, chili peppers or something. Rock beats paper. Beats <laughs> Scissors beats paper, but paper beats rock. Right, we have right. A conundrum in our hands. <laughs> Spock beats lizard. Yes, rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. Right. Credit <laughs> Spock. Yeah, now I get you. <laughs> But I just thought that was cool how he was like, even though he had never heard of it before in his life, he was somehow able to see it on the ground and figure it out. Which, Well, he knew what a Bagua was, and he saw the guys, like the guys that were the, the shield emblems that they had on their chest. Those were Baguas. Oh, okay. I didn't get that. They were just like bronze. Right. So right. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, but I didn't realize that the two styles kind of mesh together it's like haha no one can defeat this and like the first time they were doing it like i didn't understand it at all but like again i don't know every single form of kung fu right because it was like laying on the ground like and they're running around like one guy went to stab him they're like no don't break the formation it's like but he's laying on the ground face down he can't possibly <laughs> fight you you could all just stab him right now he's not looking right and they're like no keep running around in circles you never know when the music will stop and four of us won't we'll have to have we'll have to find a place to sit because there will only be four chairs one of us will be left out <laughs> Ugh. oh my god but yeah, that whole end sequence was just amazing. I mean, he kicks their asses with the hairpin, and <laughs> which was awesome. Yeah, like that was weird. He cuts Grandpa's leg off, which was pretty shocking. Oh yeah, and it's like, oh, and she's like, I'm gonna kill him. It's like, no, 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 no. We killed his whole family, and now he's crippled. <laughs> There's no way he's ever gonna seek revenge or vengeance because right. this is over now. Like, even though, like. 90 movies have started this way. <laughs> right. <laughs> you chopped off my grandpa's leg. 
Now I will kill your entire family and ravish your women. Apparently he's never read The Art of War where it says never leave an enemy alive because only the living seek revenge. <laughs> defeat your enemy. Defeat them so soundly that they're t- as to leave no, uh, no question about your victory. Right. Basically saying, you know, I, I like use this as a sports metaphor. Like, oh, they only beat them by one point. Like, we're so close. They could have gotten them. It's like, oh, they beat them by 600 points. <laughs> like, there was, never, there was never any shot that they had at any point ever. Uh, the Bears defeated the Redskins uh, in 1936 this way. It was 72 to nothing, and it got to the point where the officials are like, you know what? We'll just give you the point after because we don't have any footballs left because we only brought like four and you keep kicking extra points into the, into the crowd. Cause there's no net. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> but yeah, that was like the, the biggest loss in NFL history, 72 to nothing oh because God. Washington had beaten Chicago earlier in the year. And they were like, yeah, we're so much better than you. Like they were talking all kinds of shit. The original bulletin board game, they talked so much shit. Then they met again for the championship, and the Bears are like, all right, first of all, that was a close game before. This won't be. I promise you. <laughs> and they won 72 to nothing. Wow, that's hilarious. <laughs> like, maybe don't talk shit. <laughs> All right, so we end on an amazing fight. And, uh, Patsy, what are your final thoughts on Sword Stained with Royal Blood? Uh, I mean, I love this. Uh, I thought it was great. The fight scenes were amazing. I know, as we always do, like, you know, we're, we're nitpicking and we're talking about a lot of, like, inconsistencies and issues that this film does have. Again, if you haven't seen this, you're not, you know, maybe familiar with what we're talking about, some of the things that you see. Um, but again, <clears throat> there's never any question at any point that this is a woman ever. Like if you watch this, you're like, okay, what's her deal? What's going on with her? Even when like, you first see her yeah. from behind, you know, it's a chick. Yeah. Like there's never, but for everybody to be like, Oh, I didn't know you was a lady. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's never it's like in Sling Blade when you know Sling Blade learns that John Ritter's character is gay. He's like, mm, you one of them fellers who likes fellers. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute, you're a lady? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How were you ever like under any other like pretense about this? Um, I mean, the story was, you know, a fairly common story. It's like, oh, well, this guy killed that guy. So now we have to avenge the re we have to avenge the revenge because he raped his parents. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And the guy with the abacus was keeping track. Yeah. No kidding. Um, We're going to mention characters that are never going to show up, which is not something new, like or unique to this film. Right. I was like, oh, do you remember the, you know, incredible dragon? He had the fire punch of Shen Long. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, him. Yeah, he was unstoppable. Well, I'm going to train to beat him. It's like, "Ah, you're not. You're going to you're going to fight Jerry, the punching bag. (laughs) Like that's that's who the main bad guy is in this one, because 
you know, he stole your what was it he he raped your cattle and, <laughs> and rustled your parents um, I'm gonna buy myself two hundred head of parents for a thousand dollars legit <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be legit this time. Call it a calling it Bluto's beef. <laughs> so it was it was a good movie. It was you know the fight scenes were awesome. There was a little bit more like flights of fancy with some of the moves. You know, like I discussed, it's like yeah, this stuff wasn't this wasn't part of the same scene. These things weren't filmed in the same day. Maybe not even the same week. Right, uh, but the amount of moves and the the some of the scenes you can tell it's like okay you're going to swing at me i'm going to swing at you and we're going to go back and forth cuz like there's that like kind of herky jerky motion but like again that's in every one of these cuz it's a choreographed fight like they're not actually trying to murder each other right but the opening fight uh against the five elements um, when when um, Philip Quack is first fighting them, like that one is legit. It is so fluid. It is so nice. There's none of that. Like you swing, I swing. You swing, I swing. You swing, I swing. It's fluid and it's just motion. Uh, like watching waves crash against mm. the beach. Like it's just that constant, um, you know, unending barrage, like from both sides. So it's like, okay, this is definitely, um, much more smoothly, uh, performed. Yeah. Yeah. And we got yeah. to see new weapons again. And as a bonus, nobody used a flag. <laughs> and, and I know we, <laughs> I messaged you afterwards about this. One thing we did not touch on last week that uh, we have not seen in this movie, no swastikas. There were no swastikas in this film. That's right. Yep. Unlike last week. But that's supposed to be, it's a it's a uh, martial arts symbol that was uh, co-opted, obviously, and means much different things now. Um, right. And Hitler reversed it, too. Yes. Uh, it, and tilted it. Yeah. So, like, there was a specific way, like, if it was um, facing a certain way, it was, like, part of a cross in one religion. Like, it yeah. was, like, the center point of a cross, and, like, the cross kind of, like, spread out uh, from that center point. So, in in the case of the film we watched last week, um, that was more, uh, it meant luck right. in that that specific context because yes this film was made in uh the 80s but it was uh set around the turn of the century right so, the, the, the turn of the 20th century <clears throat> yeah it was it was you know whenever the dynasty was i'm trying oh, to think yeah. of like I when it, like might be late late 18 1900s 1800s yeah. Late nineteen hundred, well, not late nineteen hundreds. That's <laughs> that's when Jurassic Park came out in right, the late the 1900s. olden days. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's funny. But yeah, I, I I liked it. How about you? What did you think? I did. I love this movie. I really thought Philip Kwok is the reason to watch this movie. He was just so awesome in this. They really used his skills to their fullest potential. 
Um, yeah, the plot's a little confusing and convoluted when Candy Wu is kind of annoying and it was confusing whether she was a boy or a girl or is it a woman or a man? Um, but the subtitles didn't help too. So I think that added to the confusion. Um, she should have worn a beard. At least I would have been able to buy the fact that the other characters believed she was male if she had a beard on. But um, it, overall, it was just a fun ride. Uh, I liked the mystery of the golden snake and, the, you know, the way he had the hidden traps and the treasure maps. And you had to read this envelope first and that envelope. Because if Philip Kwok had read the third envelope first, he would have done what the bad guys did and opened up the thing and got hit with the poison darts. And the movie would be over in the first 10 minutes. So, uh, which, by the way, um, I'm stealing that concept and I'm going to use it on a on an adventure call Cthulhu that I'm going to put Spency and his girlfriend through. So <laughs> we'll see how that turns out. I'll re- report back when we do that. Um, I'd say go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, I just thought that was a fun element to the story. I, the fight scenes were even more than impressive this time around. And like you said, you know, they were a little over the top, but. I really liked it. I loved the superhuman jumping around. And Pat, you had said this once before that these are the superhero movies of their day and of their oh, yeah, culture. Yeah. You know? It absolutely is. Like it, these guys, you know, in addition to like we talked about last week, portraying characters who exist in legend and folklore and myth, they are also, you know, played by well known actors and these are guys that are, you know, action stars. You know, it's this is, you know, uh, this is this is Schwarzenegger playing Conan the Barbarian. This is, uh, uh, I'm like drawing blanks. Like I'm trying to think of like a big action star who played like another like you know well known character. It'd be like if you know Stallone played Beowulf or something. You right, know, like right, yeah, that's. That's what this is like. You know, it's Kevin Costner, who I don't consider an action star, but whatever. <laughs> Robin Russell Crowe is Robin Hood. You know, well, it, Kevin Costner uh, did play Robin Hood. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. But like, I don't consider him a, a, an action hero. Right, but yeah. like, Russell Crowe is Robin Hood or uh, Mel Gibson is William Wallace. Yeah, yeah. Or that that's like what we're seeing, like these mythical, I mean, William Wallace, obviously real, but there's accounts of their life that was, you know, embellished and, and, you know, right. And and whatnot, but like in real life, he was drawn and quartered, uh, not, he didn't have, he wasn't disemboweled the way they portrayed it in the movie, but that's right. And he might not have done specific things. Yeah. But anyways, you know, like you could get Liam Neeson to play Philip Kwok's life story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I would love to see that. I have a specific set of skills. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, we are going to take a break. And when we return, we're going to discuss the Spaghetti Western, The Mercenary from 1968, starring Franco Nero and Jack Palance. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On the Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. 
There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here, your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not so classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast, it's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
he sells death to the highest bidder. He'll sell your life for what he thinks it's worth. He is the mercenary. If you're not ready to buy, be ready to die. All right, so our spaghetti western this week is the mercenary, or in Italian, El Mercenario. Which you know, good thing I said the mercenary because there's no way you would know what I meant if I just said El Mercenario. Uh, known in the United Kingdom as a professional gun, not the professional gun, just a professional gun. The 1968 Zapata western film directed by Sergio Corbucci, whose name we have said many, 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 many times. The film stars Franco Nero, Jack Palance, or Palance, depending on which emphasis you want to put on which syllable. Tony Masante, Eduardo Fajardo, which, why did his parents name him that? And Giovanna Raleigh, as well as a musical score by the incomparable Ennio Morricone and Bruno Nicolai. I don't know who that is. Uh, I only know who uh, Ennio Morricone is. Oh, good. Well, we'll get into that later. All right. So uh, the plot is on the northern side of the Mexico-United States border, so in the United States. Sergei Polak-Kowalski, very clever nickname, a well-groomed, greedy mercenary, attends a circus performance where he recognizes the show's lead rodeo clown as Paco Roman. During the performance, Kowalski reminisces on he and Paco fought together as revolutionaries against the Mexican government. And here we have our full 90 minute flashback <laughs> so uh and again there's no way he's just like oh i just happened to be here and hey i know that guy let me think <laughs> back about the time we were both uh mercenaries fighting uh for the revolution no he knew that's where that guy was <laughs> he was there on purpose yeah just- so prior to the start of their partnership, Paco was a peon working in a silver mine owned by Elias Garcia. Uh, he rebels against his boss and humiliates him and his two brothers, including El- Colonel Alfonso Garcia. He humiliates him by forcing him to eat what the peons eat, which included beans and uh, a dead mouse. While they was, uh, was it a mouse or a gecko? I thought it was a lizard. It might have, I don't know, it looked like a shriveled up mouse to me, but it could have been a lizard. <laughs> Either way, 
not something you generally want to eat and find in your beans. Although, to be fair, if you put that in Bud Spencer's beans, he would just wolf that down because there's no way he would stop eating fast enough or long enough <laughs> to, to know that. Like, oh, what do you think of the dead lizard? <laughs> what? Oh, you mean that big chewy bean? Like... <laughs> so he is soon captured, you know, because, of course, he he went into, like, their club. For lack of a better term, it was like a country club. He went in there and, like, forced them to do it and ate all their food, which had a really unappetizing pig. And like, when I saw the pig, I was like, oh, this thing's kind of shitty. The apple, like, wasn't even apples, like a fucking lemon fell out of its mouth. But it's like, oh, he's pushing it out with a gun. That makes <laughs> sense. So he's soon captured but saved from execution by his friends. So he was, like, buried up to his neck. And, you know, there were guys going to ride by with horses and, like, I don't know, like tracking with polo, polo mallets. I don't know. <laughs> All of a sudden, he just like ducks underneath, and everyone's like, where'd he go? And it's, it's turned out like some of his friends tunneled underneath and pulled him through the tunnel on the other side of the wall. So meanwhile, Kowalski makes a uh, deal with Elias and his brother to take their silver safely across the border. Curly, which... All I could think of was City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold, <laughs> played by Jack Palance. Uh, so Curly, which is Kowalski's flamboyant American rival, sees three men talking and tracks down the brothers to find out what they hired Kowalski for, why, and then he kills them. Well, for, he kills the first one. He's like, which one of you is in charge? And the first guy's like, I am. He's like, oh, we don't need him. Then they shoot him. <laughs> then they, like, beat the shit out of him. And, like, every time he kills somebody, he, like, crosses himself. And it's like, yeah, that's unnecessary. So when Kowalski arrives at the mine to meet the Garcias, he meets Paco and his revolutionaries instead, finding everyone else hanged. Uh, especially, I thought it was especially gruesome because they showed like the one guy with his eyes open and I thought he was going to like look over and like, ah, this was a trap the whole time. Uh, (laughs) Colonel Garcia's troops arrive and attack them. And in true mercenary fashion, Kowalski agrees to help them fight. But he's like, oh, they're, he's like, they're going to shoot at you too. But he's like, yeah, but if you want me to help you, which would by extension help himself, it's like, you have to pay me 200 pesos. So he does, and he assembles a machine gun. He's like, hey, how do you work this thing? He's like, oh, you only paid me to put it together. You didn't pay me to, <laughs> to, to shoot it, too. It's like, what a tool. Like, I guess that's technically right, but, like, that's like, oh, I paid for this car. It's like, yep, now, if you want to drive it, the keys are extra. Like, you would <laughs> those things go together. So... With the help of Kowalski and his Hotchkiss M1914 machine gun, the revolutionaries drive Colonel Garcia's forces away. Now, he obtains this gun because he's like, all right, I want $1,000. And, like, the, the guy is selling the gun. He's like, all right, it's 2000 I'll give you $1,000. 1800 I'll give you 1000 1500 I'll give you 1000 It's like, wow, you're kind of a dick. You demand all kinds of money from everybody all the time, but you don't want to pay anything? Right. All right. So all the rich stay rich. <laughs> yeah. So the revolutionaries drive Garcia's forces away, not just with the, the, the Hotchkiss machine gun, but also with like they blow up a car because they fill it full of dynamite, which I'm surprised he didn't charge them mileage. <laughs> uh, 
So Kowalski then leaves, but he is soon ambushed by Curly. But Paco's group follows them and kills Curly's men. And uh, they're like, what do you want from this guy? He's like, his boots and everything else. Then they're like, so they strip him and like, he's just kind of like taken. He's like, oh, no, don't strip me naked, big strong man in the middle of the woods and not the woods, like in the middle of the desert. Ooh, right. don't pull all my clothes off, you dirty, dirty men. Ooh, don't get your grubby hands all over my naked body. <laughs> like he definitely didn't seem like he was upset by the proceedings <laughs> to the point where they're like, well, don't let him don't let him have to walk back completely naked. And they left him with his shirt, which he then strips off and throws on the ground and then like confidently walks away. And it's like, yep, that's Jack Palance's ass in 1968. <laughs> uh, he does uh, swear revenge. And then uh, Paco hires Kowalski to teach him how to lead the revolution. Cause Paco goes from like small time crook to general of the revolution. Right. I mean, he didn't actually get promoted or anything. He's just like, I'm a general now. And they're like, all right, general. So the revolutionaries travel from town to town, robbing guns, money, and horses from the army. Uh, they also release a prisoner named Columba, who joins the group. Columba at first resents Paco's violent methods and his over-reliance on Kowalski, but they soon begin to respect each other with sexy results. <laughs> so after... Uh, Paco stays in one town to protect people because there is a there is a part where you know a hooker comes on to him and he hooks up with her and Kowalski's like oh I need to talk to this guy how do I wake him up I know I'll light a match and stick it next to his foot yeah <laughs> and he's sleeping next to the uh, the the prostitute who is sleeping face down ass up right and it's like like wow this uh this movie has a lot of ass in it but at least you know equal equal uh equal gender yes yeah. yeah so paco stays in one town to protect the people despite kowalski telling him like that you can't match the army like there's gonna be too many guys kowalski leaves his contract fulfilled paco's group admits defeat and returns to kowalski kowalski doubles his fee but he and paco make another deal after the revolutionaries take over a town by defeating an entire regiment, Paco, realizing the unfairness of the financial burden Kowalski has placed on him, and Columba imprisons Kowalski, confiscates his money, and marries Columba. Doesn't just imprison him. He, like, trusses him up in, like, some crazy horse BDSM stuff. So when Colonel Garcia's army, along with Curly, attacked him, Paco realizes he can't manage the situation on his own and is like, hey, I need you to help me. And Kowalski's like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I'll help you. I'll help you, like, right now. And by which he punches him in the face and escapes and locks him up instead. Sucker. But, yeah. Well, Columba comes back and frees him, and the two barely escape before Curly gets him. So now back at the bullfighting arena, uh, Kowalski notes that it's been six months since Paco betrayed him. And after the performance men performance ends, Curly and his men capture Paco. Kowalski shoots Curly's men and gives him and Paco a rifle with a single bullet so they can have a fair duel. After Paco kills Curly in a way that a lot of people might recognize from Django Unchained, uh, Kowalski takes him prisoner and heads to the headquarters of the 51st Regiment to collect the reward offered for his head as a way to recoup the money that was stolen from him. Columba, witnessing Kowalski's capture of her husband, 
rides there first where two members of Paco's troop with two members of Paco's troop and meets Colonel Garcia pretending to betray Paco by telling them where the two of them are. When the army finds a pair, Kowalski also finds himself arrested and there's now an even bigger reward on his head. Two are then sentenced by, to death by a firing squad. They read off a whole long list of charges, some of which seem a little dubious and it doesn't seem like you needed to add all those things like, you know, crimes against the church or some shit like that. <laughs> Columba executes her plan and holds Garcia at gunpoint while the circus performers create a diversion. Using two machine guns, Paco and Kowalski kill most of Garcia's troops and they escape with Columba and their performers. Group splits up. Columba and the performers lead to spread the word of Paco's return to Mexico and Paco prepares to lie low while before reuniting with Columba and Kowalski, who has been given a share of his own reward money, prepares to leave Mexico. Kowalski suggests to Paco that they should team up as a mercenary pair, but Paco assures him that his dream is in Mexico. As the two friends part ways, Colonel Garcia and four soldiers prepare to ambush and kill Paco. Kowalski cuts them all down with his rifle from a nearby hillside, and before leaving, he yells, good luck, Paco, keep dreaming, but with your eyes open. So, (laughs) two different people played Columba. It is Giovanna Raleigh and Joyce Gordon. Joyce Gordon was the voice so, oh. not everybody had their own uh, stuff going on. Jack Palance definitely had his own voice because I recognize it anyway. Oh yeah, he's the, the, he's got a very distinctive voice. Yeah. And, um, no, I thought it would. Uh, I I like this, but uh, one of the things that um, I thought of kind of harkened back to what we were talking about last week about everybody looking very similar. Yeah. Uh. Franco Nero, I'm like, oh, that guy looks so familiar. But I was like, <laughs> like I know it's not Terrence Hill, and I know it's not Giuliano Gemma slash Montgomery Wood, but it's like it could have been either one of them. Oh, yeah. You know, like yeah. they all looked exactly the same. It was like, how do you – if I didn't know that that was Django, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I know. what I'm like, I'm pretty sure that this is, you know, Terrence Hill putting on some weight. <laughs> I yeah, I have that in my notes that he, him and Terrence Hill like look like they could have been brothers. Yeah. So the first thing I noticed, uh, other than the Robin Hood analogy at the very beginning, uh, when he is buried up to his neck, I don't know how much Spanish you speak. None. Oh, I could say one word: taco. That's <laughs> yeah. While he's say, well, you should know cuchillo at this point. You know that means knife. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, I know Italian. (laughs) (laughs) So while he's buried up to his neck, he's singing La Cucaracha. Well, yeah, I know that. The the cockroach. Yeah. But the second line, you know, is La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha, something, 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 something. I didn't catch it. But La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha. Yeah. Marijuana parfumar with marijuana to smoke. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) I never knew that. Is that... What he sang, or is that the actual that's lyrics what, of the song? That's what he. That's what he sang. Oh, that's hilarious! So the first thing I thought of was maybe that's where the term "roach" comes from. Ah, the okay. Very end of a joint. Okay, I have no idea what you're talking about, by the way. But okay, yeah. No. <laughs> oh, I saw that in a movie one time. <laughs> yeah. So an older boy told me about it. <laughs> My cousin Lenny mentioned it once. <laughs> 
And uh, so watching the scene where the guy's cheating at uh, uh, at craps. Yeah. And <laughs> Nero walks up to him like, do you like milk? He's like, no. Large glass of milk for my friend here. <laughs> and he drops the dice in him. He's like, there you go. Drink up, buddy. Because <laughs> he was cheating. Like every time he right. threw the dice, he came up seven. So Jack Palance is doing his thing, and he like pulls out this gun, which like the first time I'm like, who is he going to shoot? What is he going to shoot with that? Like it almost looked like bubbles were going to come out of the right, end of it. right. It wasn't like, Derringer. I didn't think it would be powerful enough to like shoot out a flag that said "bang." <laughs> Oh, like if somebody just held up one of their cards, it would bounce off. Yeah, I'm going to shoot you with this gun. It's like, (laughs) yeah, okay. What comes out of there? Candy? Like, right. Is that a Pez dispenser? Like, what the fuck? Uh, And the next thing I wrote was... Because we had already seen the scene at the beginning with the, the lizard mouse. As people have to eat a lot of awful stuff. <laughs> and then they called him Curly. And right. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's got curly hair. But, like, that's the City Slickers character. Right, right. Which must Curly, have been you kill anybody yet? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Curly, yeah. you kill anybody yet? The day ain't over yet. It's like, oh, hey. <laughs> Um. Then when like the guy was gonna try and snipe uh Franco Nero, because I I don't want to keep calling him uh the super racist. Oh, the Polak. I can say it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I have no trouble with that. (laughs) Like I don't want to keep calling him that because like that's that's kind of messed up. But like (laughs) he's trying to snipe him. First of all, he's trying to snipe him with a six shooter from like two hundred yards. Right. Okay. Like. And Palin's is like, oh, don't worry about it. He's like, yeah, but I owe him. And it's like, first of all, you're dressed like, you know, a street urchin from fucking Christmas Carol. Right. <laughs> I even wrote in my in my my notes like, hey, nice Michael Caine cosplay. <laughs> but it's like he's he's sitting there and he's like, oh, I'm gonna get him. And he's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. It's like, but I owe him. It's like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's like, hey, you married? Um, divorced. Do you have any kids? Uh, no. Oh, that's good. And I'm like, oh, this guy's fucking dead. Yeah. And like, I was like, oh, pitchfork through the stomach. Right. I figured he was gonna like probably like do something ridiculous, like pick it up and throw it through him. Right. You see it off screen. Like, well, well, you, you saw, but the whole sequence beforehand, the, the guys in the background sharpening the pitchfork. Yeah. It's it's uh, not Schrodinger. Check like Chekhov's gun, but it's this time it's uh, Chekhov probably wouldn't use it. Jethro's pitchfork. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So Keep it's like, going. oh yeah, he's he's definitely gonna like someone's getting pitchforked, and I wrote that pitchforked. And <laughs> after that sweet Michael Caine cosplay, that's funny. And the next note I had was, you know, the note about him demanding two hundred dollars to fight alongside the guys that were also trying to kill him. Right. That's like, wow, I, I just wrote mercenary through and through. <laughs> uh, then actors looking all alike. And the same music over 
and over in every single scene. Yeah. And if you've seen Kill Bill, you've heard this music. Yep. It's, you know, obviously, uh, Tarantino is a huge fan of westerns. Um, again, the blood blooming from the flower in the lapel that we saw from uh, Leo DiCaprio, we see in this film as well. Yep. Um. Because that was the first thing I thought, and I'm guessing by your reaction that that hadn't, like, connected with you. No, it didn't at first until I looked it up. <laughs> uh, but that was the first thing. It's like, yep, oh, yeah, because he pulled out that little derringer on the, the thing on his arm. Yeah. And, like, a little pop. It's like, what was that, a flashbulb going off? Right. <laughs> um, lots of ass shots. I wrote that. Uh, <laughs> then... Ears and balls. Oh <laughs> yes, I was gonna ask that point. when we get to that. Yeah. Uh, then one thing that really stuck out to me: all these people are supposed to be like these dirty, rowdy, like unclean. Like the only one who ever attempts to bathe themselves is fucking Kowalski. Yeah. When he makes everybody dump their canteens into a barrel which he then shoots so he can take a shower <laughs> like everybody's like dirty and grimy and been riding on the road like on the trail well not even trails like just riding through the goddamn desert yeah everybody had sparkly perfect white teeth <laughs> everybody well, Paco, Paco had the best teeth I have ever seen on a human being right. <laughs> like he's all muddy and dirty and caked with like you know, sweat and, and blood, and it's like teeth immaculate. Like, dental hygiene was very important to revolutionaries. Uh, <laughs> well, you want, to you, be, know, be the, you want me to be the general, and I got to have good teeth. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, like, everybody had amazing uh, dental hygiene. Yeah. Uh, See, I always forgive movies for that because we know they're actors from the nowadays, you know, from the modern day playing them, so... I, mean, I heard an Easter egg earlier today, though, from uh, the new Spider-Man film. Oh, don't don't tell me. No, no, it's an it's not a spoiler, but it's okay. just like an Easter egg thing that they took from uh, the first Tobey Maguire film. Like they kind of transported it into this new one, um, having to do with teeth, which I thought was very interesting, and it kind of you know, plays on that where it's like, if you pay attention to something like that, huh. you can, uh, you can kind of, you know, if you're doing makeup on like, cause that's one of those things that like, everybody was like, Oh my God. Like if you look at pirates of the Caribbean, everybody's got dirty, grungy teeth, you know, like, yeah, that's, you know, you don't see like, ah, oh, I've got scurvy. I haven't had any vitamin D in weeks. You know? <laughs> and like, it's actually vitamin C, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking rickets. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Scurvy and rickets. Ah, oh, I've got rickets and scurvy. <laughs> Someone get me a lemon wedge and some sunlight. <laughs> um, but the the their teeth are grungy like so if you have this guy like oh i'm this bloodthirsty pirate and i'm all gross and you know syphilitic but my teeth are perfect like, right right it kind of takes you out you know it shatters the illusion yeah. you know, again, like, right. like we're talking with the last film like if you see the wires 
It's like, yeah, like I know that's, you know, Godzilla is a dude in a suit, but like <laughs> the wires, it really takes me out of it. <laughs> you know, like there's the suspension of disbelief, but when it's like, you know, you see a stage hand like running out and like, you know, cause he got caught on a light, you know, <laughs> like that actually happened on Saturday night live with, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Chris Farley was, uh, not Matt Foley, but he was uh, a different guy. Uh, Bennett Brower or something, I think is his name. Cause he's the guy who talks with like the finger quotes all the time. It's like, uh, I make children cry, and I don't <laughs> wash the area between my crotch and legs. Like, because he's, he's quoting stuff that people have said to him. <laughs> so, like, they were, like, he was supposed to, like, ascend into the, into the ceiling, like, get pulled away because he had wires on him, but the wire got caught on a stage light. Oh, so, funny. like, one of the crew had to come out and, like, unhook him so he could get he could like go away and Kevin, Kevin Nealon who was doing weekend update at the time. And he was like, the cable didn't clear the light. That's funny. But uh, let's see after very clean teeth. I have fireworks. Stop thinking with your dick. Uh, then. Wow. Planes. I know. I know. Well, it was uh, 1910. This was set in 1910. So. Well, it's a year before World War One, or a yeah. few years before World War One, right? Because that was seventeen. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it was fairly wild. Um. Let's. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. You start where you are. I'm just going through my notes without, you know, really. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, without context. <laughs> I want to jump in with my first impression of this. So. You know, uh, I just want the folks to know, when I picked the films for the show, uh, the Shaw Brothers ones have been easy because we started with Five Deadly Venoms and we discovered the group of actors that came to be known as the Venom Mob. So we've been pretty much going down the list of their films. So pretty easy to pick the next film. Um, and similarly, but not completely the same on those Spaghetti Westerns, we would maybe follow an actor down his path in the Westerns like Giuliano Gemma or Lee Van Cleef, Terrence Hill, Bud Spencer... Um, and while we did cover Django previously, I didn't actually pick this film because Franco Nero was in it. In fact, I didn't know anything about this movie. Um, at least I didn't think I did. But uh, I referred to the Spaghetti Western Database's essential top 20 Spaghetti Westerns list. And this was listed as number eight. And I had it. So we watched it. And, ah, dude, I got to tell you, when I first watched this, now I watched this, like, I think Monday. I actually I watched it. One and a half times because I fell asleep through it the first time. And then I watched it again just before we did the recording. I was underwhelmed. Uh, I I didn't really care for it. I thought the pacing was really slow. Um, and, it, you know, by all accounts, this thing is a cult favorite. It's also considered one of Franco Nero and Jack Palance's best performances. But I just didn't see that. I, for me, I didn't care about the characters very much. They didn't engage me. I didn't think, um, the, you know, the, the, uh, all right, I won't say the Polak, but, uh, Sergey, his Kowalski, I didn't think his character was all that much of a good guy. Um, yeah, he would turn around every so often and help Paco, and ultimately, you know, they kind of ended things amicably. But I, 
I have to say, the first time I watched this, I just didn't care. I really didn't give a shit about any of the characters. But then I did your trick, Pat, <laughs> which I had, I was looking at the clock earlier and I'm like, oh shit, I gotta, I wanted to rewatch it. And I'm like, I gotta rewatch this before. I had already taken my notes, but I was like, I gotta rewatch this before we do the show. So I, I did your trick and I watched it at one and a half speed and I actually liked it a lot better that time around. <laughs> I watched it at double speed. <laughs> but I think that helped with it because I think that picked up the pacing for me. Um, I couldn't stand Jack Pounce's silly curly hair in this movie. <laughs> That's why they called him Curly. Right. Wow, so clever. <laughs> oh, man. But I did recognize it. So I have a feeling I probably did see this movie when I was a kid, but I didn't really um, – I didn't remember any of it. Um, so – yeah, I, I I think it's okay. I I wasn't totally like enthralled with it like I have been with a lot of the ones we've watched so far. This is the first one that I really I think I like the least of all the ones we've seen. And that's not to say it's a bad film. There's a lot of great stuff and we'll we'll talk about more of those things coming up. And let's start with the director as we mentioned Sergio Corbucci, who directed of course Django. Um now he wrote one called Sergi Cobbs. Sergi Cobbs. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote one that we're going to have to cover called The Great Silence, which is actually number two on the Spaghetti Westerns list, Spaghetti Western oh. Databases list. Um, he also did one called The Hell the Hellbenders and Navajo Joe that has uh, Burt Reynolds in it. Um, and he did one that I didn't realize. It's called Ringo and His Golden Pistol. So we may have to check that one out. Another Ringo. Do you think we're going to bring back all the same actors and have them play? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea. It would be fun to find out, though. Um, but he did one called, uh, that's considered a companion piece to this called the Campaneros. And I'd be curious, I think we should do that one because it's got Jack Palance and Franco Nero in it again, but also Thomas Milian, who was in the last movie. So that might be a good one to go for, uh, next time. And then this was written by Giorgio Arlorio, who wrote Zorro in uh, Zorro in 1975 and a handful of others. And Franco Salinas, who did Battle of Algiers and a bunch of other films. And I wanted to jump up to the music here before I do the cast. Now, you mentioned, of course, Ennio Morricone. Another memorable, if repeated, score. Um, it definitely is different than you know, all his other scores, which that's one thing about Morricone is I feel like every movie, his scores, even though there are similar elements, they sound different in every movie. Would you agree? Yeah. Like it's not uh, like if you're listening to John Williams scores, like if you listen to like the Jaws score compared to Star Wars, compared to Superman, like there are a lot of very similar elements. I mean, in fact, the Superman theme, like the, the, the Richard Donner directed, yeah, uh, you know Christopher Reeve version. Um, it's almost identical to Star Wars. Well, that, but it's also um, <clears throat> there's elements of the TV series from the fifties. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm just what I mean is like there's those those two things, those three films right there are very similar. Um, not to say that they're not iconic because they absolutely are. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You know, anytime, even if you haven't seen Jaws, you know, you hear that that music and you're like, oh, a shark's coming to get me. Like, right. Anytime, like you hear, uh, 
something like that, you know, you you know what this what it's from. Right. With right. Morricone, like there's so much that gets used over and over again that he stands out by, you know, having obviously his signature sounds and his signature, you know, instruments and whatnot, but it's very different. Uh, it reminds me a lot of, um, this is going to be kind of weird, but Ramin Javadi, who did all the Game of Thrones music. Okay. Like, he was able to, based on where the story was taking place, like what characters were involved, change the music up to make it um, unique to each section. Like, you know, each part of the world, each character, their journey, what was going on at the time, um, you know, different layers to the music. Morricone does a lot of the same where, you know, if you listen to, if you watch four or five movies that he scored, you're not going to be like, yeah, same thing. Like, if you listen to Danny Elfman scoring a, a <laughs> film, like... It takes zero seconds to be like, yep, this is Dan- Corpse Bride, Nightmare Before Christmas, right, James yes. and the Giant Peach, uh, Willy Wonka. You know, it's like, all right, I get it. You like wacky, bouncy music. I understand. Right, right. Morricone doesn't have that, which is, again, all the more like mind boggling why it took him so long to get an Academy Award. Well, yeah, and he uses stuff that aren't necessarily instruments, you know. Uh, sometimes he'll have that, what is that, twangy? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and then, like, voices and, oh, 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 and, you know, just all kinds of weird stuff that you wouldn't think would work, but when he puts them together, they work. You know, and uh, we also have Bruno Nicolai, who I'm not 100% sure what his involvement was but he's worked on the in the music department on tons of movies now i'm gonna say when i first did the research on this for some reason my brain said bruno Mattei, and i went and looked him up and he's a director he's directed a lot of b movies including hell of the living dead and it wasn't bruno Mattei; it was bruno nikolai <laughs> so, yeah, d- different different dude yeah but he worked in the music department for um uh movies like romeo and juliet which has a famous theme song uh, the Good and the Bad and the Ugly. He did just like a shit ton of giallos. And as you mentioned earlier, his music was used in Kill Bill Volume 2 as well as Inglorious Bastards. So it's one of those names that he's just had his hand in so many things that you can't help go, oh, I recognize that name, you know? Right. So, but yeah, like this, like I was kind of, after watching it, even this time around, I was kind of humming the tune, the theme song, even though it's, I don't think it's as good as the last movie and then some of the ones that we'll come up with. I mean, some of the ones we'll discuss coming up. But, um, you know, like you said, you know, Morricone. You know who's another good modern-day composer, too, is Michael Giacchino, who's done everything yeah. from The Incredibles to Star Trek to a, a Mission Impossible movies where he's even integrated Lalo Schifrin's original TV show music into it. Yeah, like Giacchino, I I really and uh, Bear McCreary is another guy. Yes, similar. Yep. Yeah, he's good. And like we mentioned earlier, this movie's set in the Mexican Revolution around 1910, so it's at the beginning of the Mexican Revolution. 
um, which it went from 1910 to 1920. Now, I found an interesting uh, little tidbit here, and I don't know how true it is. It's on IMDb, so take it with a grain of salt. But it said that during the production, the cameraman thought he spotted a UFO, and he continued filming it, and subsequently the team sent the pictures to NASA. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't doubt that. Like, if you're going to be on a camera crew and you think you see a UFO, like your first instinct is let's get this shit on tape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I'm surprised we haven't heard more of that in, especially some of these older films. And you know, folks, UFO doesn't mean it's aliens. It just means they don't know what it is. <laughs> it's unidentified. Right. It like, you know, it could be like, you know, a new type of weather balloon or a jet or, Aliens. I love the weather balloon. <laughs> the swamp gas reflecting yeah. off Venus. Greg Brady shooting a projection out of his back window. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I love how this movie opens up with the first thing you see are these sad midget clowns entering the bullfighting ring. <laughs> what a way to set the tone, dudes. <laughs> like, that's the open. Like, what are we doing here? What? Like, what am I watching? Like,. Oh, man. It's funny, too. You were talking about you going through your notes. You know, I've got, you know, more flashbacks, more beans. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a Western if you don't have beans. Yeah. So like, here's oh, like, all ahead. right, what are the key, what are the key elements of a Western? Well, uh, it's got to take place in the West. Yes, we, we get that. Uh, there has to be horses or cows. OK, uh, guns. All right. Uh, beans. Uh, prostitutes, uh, you know, obviously gunfights. Wait, wait, what was that last one? Prostitutes. No, before that. Cows. <laughs> no, after that. Oh, my God. Ugh. That's funny. So, all right. You kind of alluded to this in your description of, uh, of what happened to Curly at one point in the movie. Now, several books and websites that I've read said that his character is a homosexual in this. I didn't see any evidence of that. Well, I, it's, they didn't like, they weren't like having him like, like you would see somebody who is gay, like portrayed back then. Like he wasn't mincing around and wearing like, pink lace under his you know his shirt like he wasn't wearing a pink lace ruffled shirt mincing around on like a horse that you know made of sparkles and rainbows well no but i didn't he, mean that i meant like you know uh maybe having a boy toy hanging around him or something i just i just thought he was flamboyant and just weird i didn't really get any gay thing out of it until i read all these things that said he was gay <laughs> no no he's not homosexual he's a sadistic homosexual <laughs> Yeah, he's like he's a, a weird dude in this. Yeah. Um, like again, you know, I'm, I'm with you. Like you know, generally, you know, like if you're gonna have somebody who's portrayed as gay, they'll be portrayed like I was uh, alluding to a moment ago. Like that's how that it's like. Oh, you know, we don't know what subtlety is. You know, like this is from a genre. Like, how do we know who the bad guy is? Oh, he'll be all dressed in black. Well, who would the good guy be? He'll be the one dressed all in white, probably wearing a crucifix and like saving a kitten from a tree. <laughs> and like the bad guy will kick a dog. Like that's how you know who the bad guy is because they don't know what subtlety meant, you know, for a very long time, which is why anytime oh, yeah. we come across it, 
it's like I'm like, wow, did you see the way they let this woman actually like own land? Wow, how aggressive. <laughs> you know, so we we don't always get to get to see you know, subtlety and nuance in a Western because right. that's not what people went to see Westerns for. They went to see who's the fastest gun in the West. Yeah. Yeah. It's just funny. I just, I just didn't get that out of it at all. I just, you know, thought he was a weird dude. And then I'm reading all these things. And I'm going, Oh really? Okay. I guess you can read that into it. They don't, you know, it's, it didn't really hinge on the plot. So who really cares? And but <laughs> he was sadistic though. Like he puts that grenade in the guy's mouth at the end. <laughs> oh yeah, like he's like he was enjoying like when the he was sitting around the corner and he just like kept throwing grenade after grenade. Yeah, it's like one will do it. You don't have to throw all three. Save <laughs> one for a special occasion. Like, <laughs> but I think you know maybe part of the thing is like you know usually in in these like the bad guys like you know, tying the girl to the railroad tracks or something and twirling his mustache. And like, they never showed him with a woman interacting in any way, shape or form. Right. I don't know. Maybe that again, subtlety, not the strong suit of these types of films. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But speaking of subtle, I thought the, um, they, they did a great job of illustrating how Franco Nero's character was actually like lightning fast. Like that whole sequence you described about the dice and the guy whips the gun out. And Franco's, oh, Franco's got a drink in his hand. And the guy shoots him. And in the blink of an eye, he drops the drink to the floor, pulls his gun out, and shoots the other guy first. Yeah, he's like, oh, why don't you wear your gloves? It's like, oh, because I can't shoot so fast. <laughs> it's like, all right, dude, whatever. That was amazing. And he goes around lighting his matches off of people's heads. Yeah, it's like... That to me is like, all right, you're, uh, that's like a dick move is what that is. Yeah. It's like, oh, I can do this. It's like, yeah, it doesn't mean you have to. Doesn't mean you have to. And that speaks to my point about how I really didn't care for his character. Not that I didn't like him because he seemed like kind of a cool guy you could hang around and have a drink with. But he did stuff like that. He'd go around lighting, you know, matches off people's heads or... He would only do things for money. And, you know, Terrence Hill, for example, his characters, at least that we've seen so far, yeah, he would sometimes do things for money, but he would also do the right thing when it when it was needed. Yeah, he was, you know, it's not like, you know, in the uh, the couple of films that we saw, it wasn't like, oh, uh, I'll stop this guy from, you know, being a racist dick and trying to, like, you know, injure you, but you got to give me $40 first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But, hey, yeah, Franco Nero, he loves his machine guns, doesn't he? Always. Always with the machine guns. Oh, my God. When he's in the Jeep, and the like you described, and he's got the, it's full of dynamite, and he's just plowing away with the machine gun, the look on his face, like, I don't know if it was... He was just happy to sort of relive the Django memory, or he was just having some friggin' fun. Uh, it might have been fifty-fifty. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, he was so funny in this. Um, but there was a point. Did you catch this one where Paco is throwing salt all over the table? And it's very subtle. It's in almost in the background because Franco's sort of in the background of the shot, 
and he just grabs a pinch and throws it over his shoulder for good luck. Yeah, I thought that was uh, kind of uh, like I didn't realize that's what he was doing. I thought he was just like, ha, ha, I'm being a dick. Yeah, no, because I do that all the time. If you spill salt, if if you spill salt in front of me, I have to pick up a pinch of it and throw it over my shoulder for good luck. Imagine there's somebody standing there behind you and they get it right in the eyes. It's like, oh, sorry, I was doing that for good luck. It's like, oh, not my good luck, you dick. <laughs> oh, salt in my eyes. <laughs> sorry, here, have an egg. I'll just uh, not boil them and drink the egg out of them. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, what was that? I I, th- I thought I was like that's a weird shaped cup. I'm like, is he? He's just like doing a shot of egg. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? I thought he was peeling hard boiled eggs, but then he would like t- put it up to his mouth and sip it. <laughs> Have you seen that movie Rocky that comes out in about <laughs> in about ten years? It's gonna be something kind of like this. <laughs> I was gonna say that, <laughs> but he's got his to do list. You know, it's it's got cavalry and enter the command post and trumpet and machine gun and bank in all caps. Yeah, it would be uh, it was it'd be like, oh, that's so random. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, fun <laughs> haircut. <laughs> so they um. They reference uh, Simon Bolivar, who in real life was a Venezuelan military and political leader who led what are currently the countries of Venezuela, Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Panama to independence from the Spanish Empire. So I thought that was an interesting reference because, you know, he did a lot and Paco was just sort of this, you know, two-bit hood that ends up becoming a revolutionary you know, was he going to be as, you know, uh, effective a revolutionary leader as Simon Bolivar? Because he even asks Franco who Simon Bolivar was when the naked lady with her butt, which, by the way, I had to rewind that scene a few times because I kept getting distracted because her butt was in the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, he even asked Franco who Simon Bolivar was, and he doesn't really tell him. He just sort of says, you know, what the characters of a good revolutionary leader should be. Right. Not like, hey, you can definitely do this. Yeah. It's just, this is what you should do. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it's funny, too, because whenever they say Simon Bolivar, I kept thinking of James Bolivar de Grizz. Um, Did you ever read a series of sci-fi books called The Stainless Steel Rat? No, I am not familiar with that at all. Oh, okay. It's written by Harry Harrison, who also wrote, uh, what was that called? It was called Make Room, Make Room, and that's the story that Soylent Green was based on. Um, and the, and I'm going to get on a little bit of a tangent here, because every time they said Simon Bolivar, all I could think of was James Bolivar de Grizz. Um, he's this character, Slippery Jim, or uh, he's also known as the Stainless Steel Rat, and it takes place in the future, like way in the future. And he's called the stainless steel rat because in the future, or in that future anyways, all houses are made of stainless steel. So only the the craftiest, the trickiest rat could get into it. And he's this thief. He, like, he's this amazing thief that can get in and out of places, which is part of why they call him Slippery Jim. And But he's got something of a moral compass. Like, he'll only steal from companies that have insurance for their money. 
Um, he despises killing, and he's just so amazing. But he ends up getting caught, and the the futuristic uh, police unit are called the Special Corps. And what they do is they recruit criminals to catch criminals. So it's sort of like an it takes it takes a thief kind of thing, where he basically ends up working for the good guys to take down the bad guys and stuff. And I haven't read them but in a while. It's a series of novels. I can't remember how many. There's like four, five, or six of them. Um, but it's just it, for some reason that name. Every time they said Bolivar, I, I could only think of Slippery Jim. So all I think of is Bolivar Trask, who was. Uh... Played by Peter Dinklage in the uh, the X Men Days of Future Past movie, oh, he was the guy yeah. who started the Sentinel program. That's right, I forgot about that. I mean, I this is for people who aren't familiar with the the comics. Which, not that I'm super familiar with the X Men comics, but I know who Bolivar Trask is. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that too. That's the name that I thought of, Bolivar. It's just an interesting name. Yeah, it's not it's not very common. It's not like, you know, you're going through like roll call at school and it's like Bolivar, which one picks <laughs> of us? It's uh I don't know if you ever watch I think we've talked about this, the uh, pitch meetings by Ryan George on uh, the Screen Rant channel. Oh, I think you've mentioned it, yeah. And so they did one for face off and they're like, Oh yeah, so there's this guy, Sean Archer. What's his real name? Sean Archer. Uh, and then uh, he's chasing after Caster Troy. No, no. What's his real name? His real name's Caster Troy. Well, him and his brother Pollux. <laughs> it's like, aren't you gonna, aren't you gonna ask if that's his real name? No, I know like fourteen and a half Pollux's. <laughs> like somebody walks by, like, uh, did someone call my name? My name is Pollux. Did you call me? My name is Pollux. no Pollux. I didn't call you. Did you mean Pollux in accounting? Because I can go get Pollux in accounting. <laughs> you know, but it's like, yeah, Bolivar is not a, 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 a name that I have typically heard other right. than just these three instances <laughs> in my entire life. That's so, But it's so weird that we each, it's like, oh, I heard this name and it reminded me of this. And it's like, yeah. Probably because it's not a normal name. It's, you know, the guy's name was Jeff. You're not going to be like, oh, my God, that reminds me of this really weird <laughs> guy. Oh, that reminds me of Jeffrey Robinson, who grew up across the street from me, and he was so annoying. Yeah, like you never, you never, it's not, the, it's always the unique names. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Well, I thought it was cool, though, like um, during the butt scene, uh, shall we say, uh, basically, the second Frank, one. The, yeah, the second butt scene, Franco Nero basically tells him, well, the soldiers are going to be coming for you. You better get out of here. I'm going to such and such a place. And he's like, no, no, we can handle it. And he talks to him again in the morning. He's like, yeah, you're too drunk to understand. He's like, no, I'm a revolutionary. I really got to do this. OK, so he goes to this place and orders up a shit ton of food because he knows they ain't going to make it and they're going to head out of there. He's <laughs> like, All right, I needed 40 hams, 60 loaves of bread, 400 <laughs> gallons of of beer. And then they're just like, all for you. And it's like. No. <laughs> like, All right, guys, you can come on up. And they all come up and they're like, oh, <laughs> And I love that Paco, you know, one thing about Paco's character is he was, he was not afraid to go, you know what? You were right. We lost, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. or, or he would even say there were certain points where he was like, well, I still owe you like $2,338 and 
50 cents, right? And he's like, uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, you sack of shit. Give me my money. <laughs> oh, man. And then after that whole scene, I thought it was hilarious where, uh, first of all, when she first said her name was Columba, I thought she said Columbo. And I was waiting for her to go, uh, just one more thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Can you imagine if she did that the whole time? <laughs> See, I... And I thought her name, like, honestly, I thought it was going to be C-O-L-O-M-B-E. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Columbe. But it's Columba, right? It's At least that's how it's spelled on. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what she said. She said Columba. But, like, you know, I don't know what, you know, specific um, emphasis they were putting on, like, specific words. Like, because I've seen that name before and not been sure how to pronounce it because i'd only ever seen it written right so i was like oh maybe that's that's what she's saying like i know she wasn't saying columbia right which is what i thought when i at a at a glance when i was first doing the research i'm like wait her name's columbia and then i looked at it again i'm like oh no it's colombo or columba but that whole scene where she like basically tells Paco she wants to go to bed with Franco, even though she was, like, really angry while she's saying it. It was clearly she was doing it out of spite. And then they get up to the bedroom, and they're like, yeah, this is hilarious. And he comes crashing through the door and ends up out the window and into the, like, little pigsty there. Yeah, it comes crashing right through, and it's like, oh, I'm in the mud. <laughs> oh, it's good for the skin, though, he says. Yeah, that it's like, yeah. He is kind of like like rolling with the punches there. Yeah, yeah. Which which again, I guess that kind of speaks to his character where he was not, you know, he was going to be like, you know, okay, yeah, well, you know what? It's good for my skin, so. <laughs> and then they have the fight. Right. Which at first Franco's kicking his ass. Yeah, and then he starts to cheat by biting his ear and kicking him in the ball. Right. <laughs> Do you ever notice, too, throughout the movie, every so often they'll be going, walking through town, and somebody in the background is getting executed? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, they like, oh, fire, blam, oh, oh, Tuesday, huh? Right. Fire, <laughs> Oh, no, I'm dead. It's like, yeah, don't worry about it. You'll but be fine. I have to say, if I was to pick a favorite scene in this movie, it's got to be where Columbia... Columba is dressed up as Jesus, and she's got the machine gun mowing down all the soldiers. Yeah, that was like the weirdest shit. It's like, yeah, I was just like, what? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because he like there wasn't it like um, Franco Nero gets he sees like a religious sign or something, and he's like, oh, I've got an idea. I guess it was because yeah. that festival was coming up, so they figured they'd disguise themselves, right? And you know what? what? That beard would have been a better disguise for... Uh, <laughs> for she doesn't have to dress like Jesus and like get nailed to what was clearly like a Roman cross. But like, it wasn't a T, it was an X. Right. So it's... There's no need for that, but like, <laughs> like again, remember I'm watching this at work on double speed, and like, I looked away for a second because someone asked me something. And I look back and I'm like, "The fuck is going on?" 
<laughs> like the procession that they have, and she's just like so stoic. Like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. I signed up for this. It's like, okay. Just the fact that they chose her character to do that was hilarious. You know how Jesus stays in such good shape? CrossFit. Oh, pump, pump. I got a joke, but I'll tell it to you off mic. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good idea. We just lost half our listeners. <laughs> well, they didn't hear the joke, so couldn't have found anyone. No, I'm talking about mine. Oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, unless you edit it out, which. <laughs> no, no, I think it's fine. All right, I could. This one's tame. I could tell it. So there's this Jewish kid. And he's he, you know going to school, and he's failing math. No matter what, he's in public school. He's failing math. So the father kind of thinks, well, I think you know um, parochial schools, they're really good with the math, so I'm going to enroll him there. So he enrolls the son in a Catholic school. And a um, couple weeks later, the kid comes home, and he's got straight A's in math. The father's like, oh, my God, he's, that's awesome. What are they doing different at the Catholic school than they did at the public school? And the kid goes, well, when I walked in on the first day and I saw the dude nailed to the plus sign, I figured they meant business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is it is true. You got to buckle down and study, or else you end up like <laughs> So, anyways, there's a scene I wanted to ask you about here, where um, towards the end they capture this dude in a suit, where I guess Paco once gave him money to go out and buy guns, but he never came back. And the guy starts to say, first he's like, I'm your friend, I'm your friend. And then he starts crying and he's going, oh, it was the women, it was the women. So Paco says, well, you won't go with women anymore. We have to make sure. And they take him away. What the hell did they do? Did they castrate him or cut his dick off? Or <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things they could have done. Because <laughs> he tells his guys before that, he tells them to use knives on him, so... Yeah, like they were, they probably like, you know, oh, you're like, oh, it's not my fault. I like women and I spent all my money. And it's like, mm, it wasn't your money, first of all. Right. <laughs> so. well, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Well, I mean, it's, it, I think it's one of those open ended, like, it could be whatever you want it to be. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, man. And then Paco and Columba get into the bed on their wedding night. And she, it's a funny scene where she's like, move your scabbard. He's like, what? Your sword, it's hurting me. Oh, that's not my sword, baby. Yeah, I thought he was going to say that. I was waiting for something like that. <laughs> yeah. But what's funny is you could see that happening to someone in real life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, like, that's totally something that would happen. <laughs> like they're all suave and he's the revolutionary and she's the hot chick that helps him and and then the sword gets in the way <laughs> like oh oh you're hurting me <laughs> i think it's funny I, you know it's it's one of those things where where it could have been it could have been taken in a bunch of different ways because he was definitely all about getting his sword in, into his sheath like that's what he was like there's planes dropping bombs and shit. And she's like, oh, do you hear that? He's like, oh, it's nothing. It's just fireworks. Right, right. Like, Don't worry about it, baby. That's just us. That's just love. <laughs> so, uh, all right. 
I'm trying to remember now, and because I, I meant to ask this, and I don't think I wrote it down in my notes. Was it this movie or the one we just talked about, The Sword Stay with Royal Blood, where something happened, and all of a sudden it cut to fireworks for like a split second? No, it was it was it was this one. It was this one. Oh, okay, all right. Like I don't remember what specifically it was. Like it was something stupid, and then all of a sudden it was fireworks. It, it made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. No, it, no, it was one of the Shaw Brothers films. <laughs> like I'm trying to remember because it's like, oh, what was that? It's like, oh, it's just fireworks. Yeah. And it's like because he says like, that, it but was used for it was being used for like subterfuge of something. Or someone getting hit, and then it was, yeah. I wish I wrote it down. I can't remember now. Yeah, clearly it was vital and, and super important to the discussion. <laughs> so anyways, as you said in the synopsis, you know, the the planes attack, and he thinks it's fireworks at first. He realizes he's going to need uh, Kowalski's help. Uh, he, he frees him, and then Kowalski says, Yeah, hey, yeah, see you. Sayonara, suckers takes off and we're back at the present with the beginning of the movie and he's one of the clowns in the bullfighting ring and um i i kind of like that duel even though like you said it had the dicaprio kind of thing in it which i kind of forgot i completely forgot about and we're looking at him i'm like oh shit did he really lose to curly and then he had the blood in his in his flower there on his lapel see i thought at first that he because there was like there was something that uh Kowalski had said to him earlier, like, oh, never turn your back on a guy that wants to kill you or something. Yeah. And um he uh I, I thought there was gonna be something like that where like Paco got shot in the shoulder, but like saved his shot, like he didn't shoot. Cause like he was kind of cheating, like he kept looking to see where the guy was. Yeah, <laughs> and like eventually, like they you know they shoot and kill each other, or they shoot each other. But I thought he had waited, and was like gonna shoot after Jack Pounce was like, "Ha ha, I got you!" And then he was like, "Aha, no, Senor, I still have my bullet," and shot him in the face. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, this was pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was definitely interesting. It definitely caught me off guard. I didn't expect how they were going to do that. And that wasn't even the end. You still had the whole she betrayed him. No, they, did, they, they and... did the Lord of the Rings thing where there was 25 different endings every time you thought it was over. <laughs> like something else happened. Like, all right, we're going to go. Like, oh, we should be a team together. No, I'm going to go my way. You go your way. All right, you go your way. Oh, look, more bad. No, the, the colonel shows up again. Oh, I just <laughs> killed him. It's like, oh, my God. And then you see, like, at the end, you know, Kowalski's writing, you know, the, the book. And it's like, you know, to there and back again by Bilbo Baggins. Right. Like, this, <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Although I thought it was really interesting where Kowalski's like, dude, we could just open up a company, you know, it'd be Kowalski and Paco and, you know, we'll 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 fund one side of the revolution. Then we'll go fund the other side of the re- revolution. We'll make a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> we'll fight. Yeah, we'll fight for one side and then fight for the other. Like we'll be on both sides and we can't possibly lose. Right. <laughs> Which I, th- the, I have to say, I thought that was brilliant. I was like, oh, my God, that's a great idea. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess. I mean, like. That's how things work in real life, I guess. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Iran Contra there, Paco? <laughs> Military industrial complex. Like... 
It's like, where do you think the Taliban got all the fucking guns that they have? We gave them to them. Right. <laughs> They're our friends and will never, ever turn on us. Oh, my God. So, uh, final thoughts on uh, the mercenary. Uh, this, it definitely lived up to its name. I thought there was a little too much going on. Um, there was a lot of convoluted plot. Um, like just, it seemed like there was just like one extra step. Like if they had just stuck with like having Curly there was too much. If it was just the whole revolution storyline, totally fine. You didn't have to have that secondary protagonist of like, if you take Curly out of it, how much of it gets changed? Not much. Not much. No. Because every every interaction that they have involves uh, Paco and the mine and then the revolutionaries and then, like, all this other, like, Curly killing the two brothers to find out why they hired uh, Kowalski meant nothing because when Kowalski got to the mine, like they never did anything with the silver. That entire fucking plot line was abandoned. That's true. Like It never happened. The whole reason he was there was just like, oh, well, we have to get to this mine. Well, why don't we just forget about that and fight the revolution? Okay. Well, wait a minute, though. Wasn't there the whole where Paco had the map and he put the rock on and he said, yeah, this asshole accidentally shit up, set off a bunch of dynamite and now the the mine is under all kinds of rock? Yeah, and he's like, oh, there's a mountain between us and the mine, so, like, let's go. And it's like, right. and it's like oh, or we could just forget about that. So, like, the whole point of them, like, the only thing that came of the, the mine storyline was he met Paco. Right. And they got chased down by the general, and he hired Kowalski to work for him. Yeah. Like, that was it. Like, And that could have happened organically at any time. Right. Right. And that's probably where my problem lies with this film. Is like I said, it was just... Uh, just kept plodding on and on, and it was so much better on one and a half speed because it just went so much faster. And like you said, if you had stripped out some of these unnecessary subplots, it probably would have been streamlined and more enjoyable. Yeah, like him learning, like the storyline that I found to be the most interesting was Paco learning to be this revolutionary leader. Like I thought that was a great storyline. I thought it was very engaging and intriguing and I wanted to know what would happen next. Like anything that happened with Curly like was superfluous and unnecessary. It did not advance the story at all. Cause when do we see him again? We see him when the army shows up and they're fighting the army. Right. Like, who gives a shit? Like, if you take Curly out of it completely and they don't have their duel, take that out completely. Yeah. Does anything change? No, not at all. Cause he could go and wait till everybody's gone. Like all the performers, he could like grab them at home or grab them after the show and just be like, I'm taking it to the authorities. But like, 
Columbus sees this and rounds up the rest of the the revolutionaries, the compañeros that were with him, and they enact that plan. Yeah. Like, and do exactly what they had meant to do, like, like, and have that have been, like, the flashback, like, flashback to that, like, oh, this is what we're going to do. Like, because it, it was, it wasn't out of character for him to be like, well, I'm going to take, I'm going to turn you in because you stiffed me out of my money. Like he proved that everything he did was motivated by getting paid. Right. So, you know, him getting taken in, you know, or him taking Paco in and, and, you know, looking for the reward money where obviously he doesn't want to get executed, but Columba doesn't want, Paco to get executed either so she's like all right I'll turn them in for the bounty money free them give him the money that he's owed so everybody's back to square one again right and they can end it like they take curly completely out of it take Jack Palance's character completely out of it and it changes nothing yeah absolutely and even that whole scene at the gambling den at the beginning you didn't need that no, I mean, that's just to show what a badass he is. But again, you can do that, like making the guy swallow the dice in the milk. Like, <laughs> that's a badass scene. Yeah. You know, and he does get the base. He's like, oh, he wanted you to have these. And he throws the dice at him. It's like, did you sift through his shit to get those? No, or did, I'm like, kidding. They, did they pop out when you pulled out the pitchfork through his gut? That's a good point. Like, where did you get the? My guess not the same dice. Well, they did land on seven. That's true too, but <laughs> honestly, like, oh, he wanted you to have these. It's like probably not. I didn't like, even think of that. <laughs> where did you? Because they killed him. They left him there. Right. It's not like right. you know. I know you shit yourself when you die, but they're like, hey, Jerry. Get me some dice. No, no, not from the general store. I know where you can get them for free. You may have to disinfect them. Wash your hands afterwards. Yeah, like, and they were clean. So they, I washed them in a river. Wash them down by the creek, boss. Um, so, yeah, like, again, we've been pointing stuff out about this, you know, for the last couple of weeks, you know, with these films where it's like, this is unnecessary and doesn't need to happen. Right, right. If you took this subplot out, it doesn't change the main narrative of the story and it's just right. like the point of people. Like, it doesn't change anything. Well, it's like, like you don't really need Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark because it wouldn't no. change anything. <laughs> no, I mean, it It doesn't. Like, take if you literally, <laughs> if you took him out, the only thing he did was he found it, but... You know, the Nazis could have found it on their own. Right. <laughs> no, like they would have if he hadn't interfered. Right. <laughs> and actually, they did find it because he found it and was like, ha I'm going to do this. And it's like, you have this entire troop of people digging and no one noticed. Right. <laughs> but like, that's how they found it because of his interference. Had he not interfered and went to find it himself? Never would have been found. Yeah, that's a good point. Because they didn't have the back of the uh, the, the head of, of the headpiece. Yeah, the staff of Ra. Yeah. yeah. 
But yeah, like there's there's a lot of that that we see where it's like, oh, this is this movie's over two hours long, and it's like, why is this one two hours when all the other ones are like an hour and twenty, an hour and thirty? Yeah, it's because you add this extra plot point for no good reason, right? And you know that's the thing I was going to say about this movie versus Five Man Army, which was also about the Mexican Revolution, surprisingly, which I didn't plan that, but. Um, that one was way more streamlined and just I thought the characters were way more engaging and I just found it to be far more entertaining than this one. Like this one was good. It's not a horrible movie. It does, you know, could be streamlined, like we said, but um, Five Man Army, I think, blows this one out of the water. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, this this was much a, a much inferior film, but like. Again, I thought that the storyline of Paco becoming the revolutionary has been one of the better storylines that we followed. Like, it's the first one where it's not like, oh, I'm here to avenge my pa. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's something different. It's yeah. a unique look into, it's like, it's like you have this aptitude for leadership. You know, right. how, you know, and this random dude is like, well, I see that in you. It's almost like a hero's journey, like a like a, a Luke Skywalker or a Harry Potter or one of those things where it's like you are the chosen one. I see this potential in you. Let's put you into a position to succeed. And like he has his big failure, but his mentor figure is still waiting. And there's a desert. So oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. He has his big failure. He has his falling out. And then he has his coming to, to Jeebus moment. And then everything works out in the end. And he's like, you know what? I've I've accepted that this is who I am. And I, for my many flaws, am going to continue to do the best that I can for as long as I can. Right. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that that way. Um, real quick, because I, we kind of skipped over the cast, um, I just wanted to mention a couple quick things. Uh, Franco Nero, of course, we talked about a Django. He's been in Enter the Ninja, Die Hard 2, Django Unchained, which I remember seeing him when I saw De- Django Unchained in the theater, and he was he was sitting at the bar with Django. I was like, oh, my God, that's Franco Nero. Oh, shit. <laughs> it, it's the D is silent. <laughs> I love that scene. Yeah, I was actually t- talking to Ash about that earlier today. <laughs> Uh, he was in John Wick too. He's got like twelve movies in production, but he's got a new movie. We, I think we touched upon it recently, called Django Lives, uh, coming out soon. I think. Well, well, soon is in the COVID days. Within the next couple of years, um, then of course, what? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, he's coming back to play Django for a third time. He only played him one other time in the eighties. Um, then Jack Palance, of course, is Curly. And um, he's just been in a shit ton of movies, you know. Shane, as you mentioned, City Slickers and City Slickers 2, Tango and Cash. He was in Batman in 1989 um, and Young Guns. The thing I remember him from, not I knew who he was before this, but I just one fun thing that he did was there was uh, one year, I can't remember what year it was, there was the Academy Awards. I think he was coming out to accept an award and... There may have been some newspapers or something that criticize him for being an old guy. He fucking goes out there and he does one-handed, like, 20 or 30 one-handed push-ups. And, oh, pallid? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And the dude had one lung. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, screw you, I'm a real man. <laughs> I'll show you, you little bastards. <laughs> I crap bigger than you for breakfast. <laughs> so he was he was an awesome guy. He had that show, too. What did he do? Oh, it was Ripley's Believe It or Not. He would go, believe it or not. Yeah, he had that, like, almost Clint Eastwoody, like, without the the gravel. Yes. Uh, in his voice. Like, and that, that's how I... Well, part but, of the way he spoke, too, was because he had the one lung, so he had that kind of breathy, kind of the way he talked. Yeah, because he would have to take those pauses in between, like, sentences. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony Musante played Paco Roman. He was in uh, the Giallo film Bird with the Crystal Plumage. He was also oh, another uh, another uh, um, what's his name Argento. Argento, yeah. I, yeah. I all I could think of was Suspiria. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was also in Pope of Greenwich Village, which I hear is good. I've never actually seen that. I haven't either. Um, and I would like a a ton of TV shows, like American TV shows, like Marcus Welby and Rockford Files. Um, hmm. And then Giovanna Rally played Columba. Uh, she was mostly in Italian stuff that I even stuff that I hadn't heard of. Um, I just felt like she was another another hottie like Nieves Navarro. I was gonna say she she reminded me of Nieves, but like I don't know, didn't didn't quite have the same look. Yeah, yeah. It was just it was interesting. It's oh, they're kind of almost cut, but from the same cloth to a degree. Mm-hmm. But. But yeah, you know, I like I said, second viewing, I enjoyed this film a little bit better. It probably could have been trimmed down. Um, just maybe make the characters a little bit more likable. At least, at least Franco Nero's character. Um, but uh, beyond that, I think this, you know, this probably isn't one I would necessarily recommend to people who are starting off watching spaghetti westerns. But definitely, if you're a completist, you definitely should see this one because there's a lot to it as we've spent the last two hours discussing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think uh I think Franco Nero is good in this. Again, Jack Palance, especially for the limited screen time that he has, you know, his presence was definitely felt. You know, we talked about him a lot. Yeah. Oh, he probably had like four minutes of screen time. <laughs> like <laughs> he was not in this movie that much. Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I would recommend it, but not as like a jumping off point. Like right, not even right, exactly. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for the East Meets the West today. You can check out more episodes as well as our sister show, Then Is Now Podcast, in which we discuss all the cool stuff you may have missed out on at our website havenpodcasts.com Be sure to click on our Patreon and Public links for some exclusive content and help support the show. And don't forget, folks, the East Meets the West is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network as well, so don't forget to check out all the other great shows there at the dorkeningpodcastnetwork.com You can also find me uh, here, obviously. Uh, you can find me on uh, the Throwdown Thursday Facebook page uh, and Throwdown Thursday Facebook group uh, where we have a new episode every Thursday. Uh, you can also find me throw it on ThursdayPodcast.com, where you can find some of our latest uh, episodes, as well as some of our uh, some of our uh, fun articles 
Uh, you can also check out the YouTube channel uh, for Throwdown Thursday, as well as the, the YouTube channel for The Dorkening, because uh, if you check out that, uh, you can find the uh, 2021 Best Visual Media Dorkening Jaws Special uh, winning entry for the Amalgamania Podcast and Entertainment Awards, in which Leo, Phil, and I interviewed Jeffrey Voorhees, who played uh, Alex Kittner in Jaws. Uh, you can also find an article on what exactly is a Christmas movie over on ThrowdownThursdayPodcast.com. Nice. <laughs> we don't want that little Kittner boy spilling out all over the docks here. That'll teach him. <laughs> and folks, don't forget to check out the award-winning East Meets the West uh, podcast YouTube page at uh, youtube.com slash user slash death one And you'll find all our podcasts there, plus other fun stuff. And be sure not only to hit the subscribe button, but share it with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. Yeah, sharing and subscribing definitely helps uh, boost it boost it up to the top of the uh, algorithm and searches. So help us out there. And don't forget to go to wherever you download your podcasts and listen to your podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and leave us a great review so more people can help uh, join us in our journey. And... Uh, be able to find the show. That's right. That's right. Our journey to learn more about the Shaw Brothers films and Spaghetti Westerns. Join us again on our next episode of The East Meets the West. The East Meets the West is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. All clips played on the show are property of their copyright holders. All other material is copyright Jupiter Media.
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.